Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. This is Jay, or is it? <laughs> I am Shanna's deer in the headlight expression as they realized that despite having so many quotes they could use for the opening, they didn't prepare a single one. You really didn't? Come on. No, I did. That was it. Two days ago. <laughs> that was it. Too meta. Not good. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> I can't be meta with Fight Club. <laughs> it's more just, I didn't. Oh, no, I didn't do it. <laughs> well, you've returned to. Uh, we're talking about Fight Club. This is like a fundamental movie for both of us, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> huge, uh, huge part of my life for uh, better or for worse. I, I took the wrong things away from it when I watched it. I think I was always more or less on the right wavelength with it. It's just over time, my understanding of it has deepened because it, it's a it's a movie that ages remarkably well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, back in 1999, uh, when I first saw it in theater, it was a revelation. Like, uh, I, I think everyone I saw it with, we all came out and was like, wow, that was way better than we expected it to be. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I definitely knew people in my friend group in high school who took the wrong lessons from it. You know, the, the sort of people who were like, we should start a fight club. <laughs> I totally thought, I totally tried to start a fight club. Um, <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. Uh, I mean, the, the movie isn't encouraging the idea. The, the movie is, uh, like, Tyler isn't the hero. Uh, and definitely a lot of people I knew then... Uh, did see him that way sure <laughs> i did too until the end and when it was when he was obviously the villain i was like come on i miss good tyler as <laughs> if that was a thing that ever existed yeah i mean he was always the ubermensch um so david fincher this is our second film we've covered by him uh I he did one in between this and seven uh the game which we haven't covered you've seen the game right Oh, I honestly, I, I don't recall. The, it sounds familiar, but it's... It's uh, Sean Penn, Michael Douglas, and um, the game is, you know, he's he's given this game where he's being hunted down and he's sort of uh, running away all night. And he's not sure how much of it's real and whether, you know, people are actually maybe trying to kill him. Oh, uh, no, I haven't seen that, but that sounds cool. Oh, it's rad. Really good movie. Uh, one that I, again, that one I didn't like so much when I first saw it. It's one with sort of a twist rug pull kind of ending too. But uh, one that at the time I didn't feel was very effective, but has grown on me. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think it's one that just, it has a good emotional effect to it. But anyway, Fight Club, uh, a movie about a lot of things <laughs> uh, I guess we should get this out of the way first or decide if we're gonna get this out of the way first as you said there is a rug pull twist ending do do we want to talk about that now or save it till the end oh we could talk about it throughout because we necessarily have to and it's not like anybody in the world doesn't know the twist of tyler wow. and the narrator being the same person <laughs> I, I guess at this point yeah that's that's pretty much true this movie's been out for 24 years, which makes me feel oh like my I'm God. 
an ancient fucking mummy, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Because, <laughs> like, I remember when this came out on DVD as a new release and watching it, like, 150 times. <laughs> I know. It was, like, in like high school. one of my first DVDs. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I watched it a lot. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, I, I guess one thing, we're watching the more recent Blu-ray from, I don't know, like, 2009 or something. Uh, fun menu stuff with that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a menu fake out at the beginning. <laughs> it starts out looking like it's the menu for I don't I don't remember if this is, it, is a real movie or it's not. It's never been kissed. The Drew Barrymore movie. It is a real movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, shit. Did, did you accidentally somehow give me the wrong disc? How did I? <laughs> like I would have never been kissed though. <laughs> <laughs> and like you would have it out and open and have switched it with it with Fight Club in the last two days. Well, and and not only that, but you know, you you had already before watching already... sent the image of the preview screen, which is also uh, those really great uh, the the air crash uh, uh, menus. Uh, they're what are, what do you call the the air crash uh, um, pamphlets? Oh, the pamphlets, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the modified ones that they they distribute yeah yeah but you gotta understand i have the memory of a goldfish i i am aware <laughs> of that it i did only get me for like about half a second before <laughs> yeah and then then it switches to like the ikea background and you have like that great uh the dust brothers score which is one of my favorites i really love this score oh it is i had forgotten just how good this score is this is um, one I listened to a ton too. I had the CD. It was like fantastic driving around music. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had the CD for this too. Uh, no driving around, but great for like walking around in the middle of the night, wishing I was starting too. a fight club. Yeah, I mean it's it's just really tremendous score. It's got a lot of uh, variation in it, and uh, it, it really fits uh, everywhere. I, the Dust Brothers didn't do enough stuff. You know, they didn't do a lot of scores. Yeah, I I don't think I know of anything they've done besides this. Because they're mainly known as like major uh, music producers. And then like I, I think they only did maybe one or two other scores. I feel like I remember at least one other that they did. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I mean, they they're best known for producing Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is just absolutely incredible production uh they did like young mc to <laughs> uh beck they they did wero and midnight oh. vultures and odile okay cool and all the the really big back ones i actually didn't know any of that that's cool yeah so like I, I was already a fan of their music work so them doing the score for this was like oh fuck that this rules yeah i when i put the disc in this this first time I was just a little high. I had headphones in and it just kicked my ears ass. As soon as the music started playing, it was awesome. It is very sudden the way this movie starts where it's just like you, you have kind of a snippet of, I think it's sort of an opera sound. And then there's like a signal break 
and then it just <laughs> yep it rules i was just like oh my god i'm buckling up for the ride i haven't seen this movie in 10 years <laughs> great opening credits and just uh, that that cool pull out from inside uh I, so what are we gonna call him so yeah our, our character the narrator doesn't have a name uh no he is never referred. We never find out his real name. He's referred to by all sorts of fake names, mm. uh, up to and including Tyler Durden, of course. Well, yeah. Um, in my mind, technically, Tyler Durden is his name. It's probably a, a legal name he uses in different places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes by Cornelius sometimes. Rupert. Um, yeah, no, I, I have all the, yeah. the aliases as they come up. <laughs> uh, people call him Jack because of his uh, narrative habit of saying, I am Jack's raging bile duct. Although that doesn't come up until like halfway through. So yeah, it's the, not the as Jack name. As I remember yeah. it. You, you um, just sort of, if you've seen the movie a lot of times, you kind of come to think of him as Jack because in that later part of the movie, he does often say, I am Jack's this. Yeah. But I actually don't think of him as Jack. In my mind, hmm. he has always just been Edward Narrator. Norton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's Edward Norton. That, that's sort of an interesting thing. Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, they do have sort of a similar look. But, you know, Edward Norton is the office guy and uh, Brad Pitt is the party guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great choice casting him for the role of the guy who you would want to be if you could be anyone in the oh, 90s. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And just the way they sort of poke at Brad Pitt as a superstar and sort of him being Tyler Durden, you know, it it is a joke in and of itself. Like it's stunt casting. He's great in it, but it's also, you know, he is this incredibly beautiful man. There's a part where they're looking at, uh, they're uh, pointing at Calvin Klein ads on the bus and saying, is that what a real man looks like? Brad Pitt did Calvin Klein ads. <laughs> he did those. That might even be him. <laughs> and this was the first time I ever actually caught the gay subtext of that scene. Oh, there is an amount of it in this so movie. Much. Yeah. I it went completely over my head when the movie first came out. But it is not even subtle. Yeah, no, no. it's 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 fully there. The movie's uh, well, one of the things the movie is about is a love triangle. It turns yeah, out it's it's a romantic comedy. I, I think the screenwriter Jim Olds has personally called it a, a romantic comedy for years. <laughs> He's not I, wrong. I see. It. I can see it that way. There's mm-hmm. there's a type of romance in it, and there's definitely comedy. It's it is a funny movie. It's hilarious. It, it is extremely funny. Uh, I I think it resonates best as a satire than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like I remember going to the theater and expecting a dumb action movie, and I was so much happier with what I got. <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of my thing. When I rented it, I was like, "Well, the movie I wanted to rent was was all sold out." Um, because this was a local video store. This wasn't a blockbuster that right. had like five hundred copies of one movie on a taking up a single wall and fight club uh, initially wasn't a blockbuster you know it was no. a mild success but it uh it really picked up on home video yeah yeah i like i was like well can't rent what i want i'll rent this uh we'll make fun of this dumb uh brad pitt movie where in the video game you can actually beat up fred durst <laughs> i mean that's rad that, that is rad or you could play as him if you 
wanted, I guess. I never played the video game. No, it's me just neither. A but... weird artifact. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's not in the movie. Basically... Music does not appear. No, but I mean, just vaguely antithetical to the movie as a whole that there is a video game adaptation of it. <laughs> you totally featuring Fred Durst. Well, I mean, as was the Although, style of the time. You know, we discussed him last week because he was involved in Mission Impossible 2, the next year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the man really had his time in the sun 20 years ago. And I guess he's sort of on his dad bod revival these days. Yeah, I, I've heard bits and pieces of what he's doing these days. He, he does not look the same whatsoever. <laughs> he kind of is like trending towards Ben Kissel. <laughs> in the video game he was the only one who didn't take off his shirt (laughs) i mean you know so (laughs) uh we we open with i mean after the the credits the pull out there it's the flash forward where they're on the top floor yeah he's got a he's got the gun in his mouth and the one thing i could think of in this that one moment was how clean was that barrel Right. I, I could quote practically all of this movie. Uh, the, I could. <laughs> the, the, the main important thing here is him saying, people are always asking me if I know Tyler Durden, which is uh, such a good self-reflective line to begin. Yeah, because I don't think anyone asks him that. <laughs> but no, that's it's an interesting question that he well, should ask. People do ask, I think uh bob asks him that at one point but mostly you know people say he is tyler durden certainly by this point in the film oh yeah definitely (laughs) i I guess one of the things i want to bring up right at the start is edward norton how fucking good he is in this because he brings this character to life who is kind of a void on the page yeah yeah this character does not necessarily he does not have a personality basically Mm -hmm. his personality is his stuff it is his he is his job he is the car he drives basically yes he he absolutely is and i i think just the delivery of norton the sarcasm in his tone the the irony of it uh gives it an extra layer of depth. It makes him more self-aware. You realize that he is dealing with this. It's just he's got this externalized version of himself that he uh, is unable to break away from because he is mentally ill. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I love his narrations. They're fantastic. And like they're laying out the themes straight up all the time. So it's crazy that so many people missed them. It was like right, right here. He's like, you always hurt the ones you love. Well, it goes both ways. Like he's explicitly stating right here with the gun in his mouth that Tyler is one of the love interests that they love each other. Mm, yeah. I just, you know, I thought they were roommates. They were roommates. They, I mean, they were roommates, but no, they... <laughs> <laughs> we don't, see them fucking because you know it'd be impossible but i kind of imagine that they now that i've seen it this time i kind of imagine that they did and we just don't ever see it well it's self-love if if there is any masturbation taking place that's essentially (laughs) what's going on i guess so (laughs) 
and I guess that's sort of the thing is uh, a lot of it is him learning to love himself and then also to learn to love someone else. Uh, he mm-hmm. can't. And Marla is also a weird double for him in a lot of ways. That's something that I didn't pick up until this time is that she she's basically another idealized version of him. Not but like I would say not an idealized version of him. She is a mirror version of him that er, upsets him. <laughs> no, yeah, that sorry, not idealized isn't the right word. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> she's she's a reflection. too much him. Yeah. So we're we're starting with Project Mayhem. Uh, that he's saying that Project Mayhem is blowing up all these 10 buildings to erase credit card debt in Delaware. Uh, (laughs) If only it worked that way. Like, yeah, I don't think this is uh, viable in the modern age. Maybe in 99 that was still feasible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, It's impossible now. No, you can't can't do it like that. Right. And he says, I know this because Tyler knows this. Which is, you know, again, just him directly stating, like, yeah, I know this because Tyler knows this. We, we share the same brain. We, <laughs> I know everything he knows. Yeah, after the first time when I was surprised by the revelation, every subsequent viewing, I was like, oh my god, it is so incredibly obvious. I was not surprised by the revelation when I watched it the first time. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't remember where it was that I had sussed it out. It was pretty early on. I was like, I think they're the same dude. And then there was that thing with the car ride that sort of faked me out because it, it was weird because they were, <laughs> you know, they, they were yeah. both. There were two people listening to them have a conversation. The first rule of Project Mayhem is not to ask questions about Project Mayhem, sir. <laughs> yeah. And that that kind of swerved me for it's like, am I wrong? And then when I was like, OK, yeah, no, he, he is. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. And then I it, it took me a lot of viewings to kind of piece together how that worked. Well, their mm. first rule is to not ask questions when he starts talking to nobody. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh it, it took me a while to figure because that scene tripped me up too a bit. Yeah. And he does identify Marla as the big trigger event of everything. Like from here, like here uh-huh. with the, the gun in his mouth, he's like I, I think back to Marla Singer, and it, it's it's her that he's blaming in a sort of way. <laughs> well, uh, even here, yeah, it's no, it's clearly, it's clearly his fault. <laughs> it is his fault, and I think he has started to recognize it because he is really trying to make amends with Marla. By the end, it's just he still yeah. doesn't know how to do it because he's still just not a well person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we 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 cut back to our first flashback before we go to the flashback in the flashback <laughs> <laughs> bob meatloaf oh my god bob has bitch tits i i saw oh, poor bob poor bob uh probably meatloaf's best role outside of rocky horror picture show oh i I didn't know he was in that. I didn't know. I didn't know anything else Meatloaf had done, like for films. Oh yeah, he's in stuff. Not a lot of great stuff, but yeah, he's like Rocky Horror Picture Show is what made him a star in the first place. Oh, okay, because like he did the stage version. Oh, and then oh. the movie. Gotcha. But he was a different character on the stage than he was in the movie. I think. But in the movie, he's Eddie. 
you know, the biker okay. guy. Have you seen Rocky Horror? Such a long time ago. Yeah. I remember I remember like just Tim Curry's outfit and that's about it. That's fair. But he was always my favorite character when I was a kid in the movie. Uh, of Rocky Horror, uh, Meatloaf. Right. But yeah, yeah. Bob, uh, remaining men together. Uh, he is Weird such a man. tragic character. <laughs> Bob is very sad. He's kind of the only casualty of this film. Right? Shockingly, yes. Uh, people don't really die in this. It doesn't have a, it really doesn't have much of a body count. No, it's sort of a movie about grassroots cult terrorism in a weird sort of way but there is no violence towards people there's only violence towards property and mm-hmm. you know the it's one of them that gets killed rather than uh them that hurts anyone else yeah yeah he gets shot by a cop way way down the line mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah it's him uh hugging bob and then he has like no way let me go back further and <laughs> get the flashback in the flashback i love that shit yeah, totally. Because because we're clearly not at the beginning, and we're still like, what? <laughs> oh, and it sort of reflects this insomnia theme, uh, which was the thing that really resonated with me back in the time because I had fucking terrible insomnia in high school. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I I would get it sometimes, not like all the time, but I did always have trouble sleeping. It was and- a constant for me. So this really resonated with me and just the the scene, the a copy of a copy of a copy. And you see him at, at all these copiers and the flashing and just the sort of dim gray office lighting and the the echoes of it. Like a perfect, perfect encapsulation of the feeling of having been awake for just way too long and just not have had enough rest. The, the whole thing, like this whole beginning part feels like it was filmed from the sunken place yeah uh in out it, it, it's amazing how he was able to capture that just disconnect between what he what, I, I don't know how to explain it between what we're seeing and what we're feeling like we're not we're not i would say that there because he's not. isn't a disconnect i i would say that that's sort of the the beauty of it that there is a real connection between uh what we're seeing and what he's feeling it's it's intrinsic where we're, we're getting his emotions in the visuals Mm, okay yeah yeah uh but yeah i mean i I agree it's it's very very sunken placey uh it it feels uh just you you really get get uh a a good impression of his mental state that just he's at this really low ebb and uh i mean we'll learn that it's because he's being tyler at night (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Or at least uh, like, a part of it. Yeah. Um, like we find out he hasn't slept for a year or so. Yeah. I mean, he's like been that. sleeping, but not a lot. Like he, yeah. he's getting very, very little sleep. And, and like also sleeping, but not really. Yeah. You, you get a lot of, and he says also with insomnia, you're never really asleep and you're never really awake, which yeah. I, I can really relate to. You just have that weird liminal space where you're just in between dreams and reality and that that's sort of what creates tyler mm-hmm. he he pulls himself out of dreams and makes himself into a reality yeah he's like shoot i lost it 
So uh, corporate buzzwords, another big little <laughs> big, big theme in this movie. His fucking boss. <laughs> he might as well be Lumberg from Office Space. He's very Lumberg-esque. Uh, his uh, the his ties for each day of the week with a different color. Uh, <laughs> it must have been Tuesday. He was wearing his cornflower blue tie. <laughs> I love later on. I don't even bother wearing a tie anymore. <laughs> I don't even wear a tie anymore. I mean, he's just like deteriorating physically. <laughs> Just collapsing <laughs> and I'm watching the movie at the time like this is what I want to be. <laughs> right. And and he's there, there's this disconnect between the narration and what we're seeing because he's talking about how, you know, you, you spend a week at Fight Club and you're like carved out of wood. And we see yeah. him just <laughs> deteriorating and like he's going down the drain. Like Tyler's looking better and better because, <laughs> because all his energy is going real. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's the cult leader <laughs> oh yeah the cult leader has to look gets all the shit so he's got to look good yeah and yeah, th- this is a real cult movie also that that's something that i didn't really pick up at the time but is blatant <laughs> oh he, cult. <laughs> he is definitely making like his own little jonestown yeah or maybe what's the david koresh one a Waco, yeah, yeah, or the the uh, the Branch Davidians. That oh, that's that's the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So next is the IKEA thing. His IKEA apartment. What kind of dining set defines me as a person? <laughs> a table shaped like a yin yang. <laughs> and and <laughs> I I love the effect of him just walking through the apartment and all of the furniture appearing along with IKEA write ups in the air around them. <laughs> Yep, just like the floating text, and it does look exactly like an ad. His setup, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, his his apartment is co- completely devoid of personality. It yeah. it is uh, just this uh, sp- this hermetically sealed space that has no life in it because he's living through his possessions, but they don't reflect any personality because he doesn't have one. Uh huh. <laughs> And he goes into the fridge and it's completely empty. There's just jars of mustard, like fancy <laughs> mustards. He eats it with a knife. <laughs> just reminds me of that Simpsons where Otto oh, gets I had mustard. <laughs> I had mustard? Yeah, exactly. And it, when all of his stuff gets blown out in the explosion, he he's kind of embarrassed about this fridge full of mustard and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> this is his life and it's it is his life at its time. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's sort of the beauty of this in terms of it as a movie about cults and cult thought and uh, the rise of uh, political groups or socio-political groups that are sort of uh, moving toward a political purpose without uh, stating themselves as being aligned to politics is just like no no we're just you know men being men yeah the the parallels in the modern day between the rise of the project mayhem and the alt-right are like wow they're troubling yeah and it's it's it feels really prescient for a lot of that uh and it's notable that fight club is predominantly white even though it's Mm -hmm. supposed to be about a huge underclass organization 
yeah it's just, <laughs> just white guys that show up there's a few black guys but very few <laughs> yep it is so only men and it is exclusively men it's yeah. just extremely toxically male <laughs> oh yeah women aren't even allowed to find out about it no it, they kind of just don't and they don't <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to his doctor about his insomnia and the doctor is not helpful. He won't. He won't prescribe him any medication. So, and this is kind of what causes the whole problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and imagine a, a problem with finding a doctor to prescribe medication. Uh, I feel like you're you're mostly going to get overprescribed. They're in the back pocket of so many people most of the time. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know how American health works um i mean most americans don't either i imagine it i understand it's extremely complicated it's very complicated uh but usually you will get prescribed stuff they they, they get bonuses to prescribe stuff you, you can oh yeah there, there's oh because capitalism of course yeah. no, it's, it's, right you make money uh weird so then it, it does seem like kind of an odd swerve but anyway he tells him you want to see pain you should go down to you know first methodist and see the testicular cancer group and that's real pain yeah so this was more like <laughs> this wasn't meant to be a literal invitation i think it's more like dude you think you're suffering these guys are suffering get over yourself i think it was also just like go down there and sort of witness that and kind of understand that what you're dealing with is not so bad. It's just that I, let, let's call him Jack or narrator. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, sure. He doesn't have the, the, the self-awareness to go in there and just take that away from it. He, he just needs to keep going to it. He uh, it, it's like television. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when he meets Marla pretty soon here, I think she even says like, Hey, it's cheaper than a movie and the coffee's free. <laughs> Like, yeah that's why she goes because she's self-aware about it and he yeah. is not <laughs> yeah he, he wants to he wants to say it's like some greater purpose and it's not no and it's like he said how he was raised by tv tv is mommy and you know this is replacing mommy this is a new tv mm -hmm. and so he needs it every day he needs to keep going he needs that <laughs> emotional release of the happy ending or yeah whatever. yeah just the 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 big cry the hugs because mm -hmm. i mean that's another thing that is never really uh directly stated but it's he's touch starved he has no connections with anybody in the world so he's looking for connection here where he's just hugging people and you know specifically usually men yeah uh which you know again to the queer theming but but uh, but the, sometimes a man with boobs certainly often a man with boobs oh yeah i mean bob's what? great but yeah. just the that that it, it transitions to the Fight Club, which is a, a violent form of uh, getting some sort of physical intimacy, mm -hmm. and he finds he prefers that. Yeah, yeah. I I think. Uh, well, I I I don't know if the movie really explores that, but I think there's like a bit of like a a motherly thing in the way he hugs Bob in the be in the first few times. Oh, absolutely. I, I think he directly calls it out as like a motherly embrace. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. He does. 
So there, here's where he's Cornelius. He's Cornelius when he's in the testicular cancer group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and yeah, his whole thing is like, if he doesn't talk, people just assume the worst. So, you know, they treat him with such like, oh, they treat you better when they think you're dying. Yeah, losing all hope was freedom is how he puts it. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing I want to note here is in that first scene, in the where where we get the full uh, testicular cancer group meeting, when the the guy who runs the group stands up and I think he puts his arm around Bob and Tar. I, mean, I guess it's not Bob; it's this other guy, the dude who's uh, wife remarried or something. Right. He's right. like comforting that dude. Tyler appears for one frame in the guy's seat. He does that a lot more often than I remembered. It was about three times. Oh, shoot. I counted more, but I didn't know where they were. I Like, there's a handful, but uh, there's a few specific ones that are pretty notable. And he references that, like, if you're not looking for it, you might not ever see it, which he references later on. But mm. yeah, it's there. And <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was like, hey, this is Tyler splicing himself into the film. No. This is Tyler splicing himself into reality. Yeah, Tyler becoming real. Uh, this is him formulating Tyler. And Tyler is taking the place of the group leader. He's running, you know, he's he's sitting in the seat of the guy who is running the group therapy. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going to be taking over that position. <laughs> yep. So yeah, he, he cries embracing Bob and it's his big breakthrough. And uh, he, he joins all the groups. And they all have just, (laughs) they're all like ampersand names, free and clear, uh, (laughs) onward and upward. Uh, Oh, living. Yeah, they're all names like that. (laughs) Like happy and healthy or like all these uplifting names. And and all the the, the different things he goes to. Like places where he is obviously out of place just as much as Marla is out of place in the testicular cancer one. He goes to the sickle cell anemia one, which is a, <laughs> you know, they don't really call it out, but you know, that is that, that kind of, I think it only affects black people. Oh, <laughs> that's why he really stands out in that one. I see. Yeah. <laughs> There, there are people giving him looks, kind of like how they're giving Marla looks in the other <laughs> one. So again, it's him not recognizing himself, whereas Marla is. And when he sees Marla, he's recognizing himself and he hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole revelation of, this is what I look like to other people? No, it can't be. I'm better than this. Yeah. So we have that thing at the, the cancer one where the the leader is doing guided meditations imagine your pain as a white ball of healing light uh which is sort of the philosophy he takes forward into fight club he's going for pain as healing Mm, yeah that's uh one of the things i kind of took away from the movie uh and kind of made that part of my philosophy for a bit that wasn't really good yeah no it's uh definitely not what the movie is intending to say but it's certainly no nope. people took away from it yep <laughs> that was so, unhealthy yeah so 
he said he he has this weird thing in the cave with the penguin. <laughs> I love the ice cave. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love the little penguin. Slide. Slide. And he says in that moment, this was my vacation. And then when Marla shows up, he's so angry and he's calling her a tourist because she's <laughs> on vacation here. It's like, dude. <laughs> Marla, you tourist, you faker. It's complete projection. <laughs> yep. He has no idea why she's doing. He actually doesn't know why she's doing anything. We don't. He's not he all that interested in learning about her. <laughs> yeah, we we don't find out a whole lot about her because of that. Because it's right after his vacation thing that she turns up in the testicular cancer group. Like, Marla, the tourist. <laughs> what? This is cancer, right? And he does at least have the reflexiveness to say, her lie reflected my lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> I need this, Marla. Because she's the one who is a match for him as personality. Uh, she like she's his double in reality, not his double in his dreams in his idealism. Mm. <laughs> so, I I had a huge crush on Marla Singer back in the day. I don't now, but I see why I did. I, you know, she is in the line of uh, goth women marketed towards our age group from Lydia <laughs> Dietz upward. Yeah, well, I mean, that's basically what she is. She's like dirty Lydia Dietz. Yeah, very dirty. She's kind of messed up. Very, oh, <laughs> she's very like she's not quite uh, damaged written on the forehead, but like you see it and there's certainly space for it speaking of damage written on the forehead jared leto's in this too oh yeah that's right i i uh, it's probably the first thing i knew him from um i found i heard about his band before oh 30 seconds I, to mars yeah well, like i saw him in this but i didn't know who he was or that he was anything and right. then i heard about his band and then it's like oh yeah the band lead the singer was the blonde guy in fight club yeah and he's the other love interest too yeah which is uh, interesting he, and he has a much smaller role than i remember actually yeah, there's not a lot he's just an object of jealousy yeah and then he gets fucking beat down he does but so the second flash of tyler is when uh norton is watching marla walk away from the uh the meeting she he like he turns the corner and he watches her walking away and it's a flash of him superimposed over her oh is this where she's like walking into the traffic no not yet this is she's okay. just walking away like down uh, a street see i didn't realize there was like a rhyme or reason to where tyler gets superimposed that's well, of course. interesting <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it 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 would all have a thematic rationale to it. So again, it's the doubling, it's a, reinforcing that it's uh and it's it's spikes of things happening, like uh, they're they're pressure points. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, I, I kind of see what you're saying now. How he's building Tyler, like this is what a leader of a group of men would do. This is what someone who doesn't give a fuck about things would do. Yeah. <laughs> So he's like, if I did have a tumor, I'd name it Marla. 
the, the the sequence where uh, he goes into his cave and she's there <laughs> slide because she is his spirit animal and she <laughs> is actually a better guide for him totally <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't recognize it no he never picks that up I like maybe at the very end he's sort of got it but you know it might be too late she met him at a really strange time in his life well that's true so here is where he finally confronts her this is where his name's rupert (laughs) yeah yeah he imagines it a few times first where he's like shouting her down in front of everybody but yeah He's like, Marley, you tourist, I need this, get out! <laughs> but it's really but, Yeah. Well, yeah, he comes up, like, I'll expose you. He's like, I'll expose you. It's <laughs> 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 like, damn it. <laughs> so they, they go through their whole thing of um, splitting the up. groups up. <laughs> No, I want brain parasites. <laughs> Technically, I have more right to be a testicular cancer than you do. Uh, you yeah, still have true. your nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, I feel like Marla is the opposite of a manic pixie dream girl. She's just <laughs> she's just an agent of bad negative chaos. <laughs> Much like Tyler, but Tyler is more of a manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> actually yeah you know that's he, he's the manic pixie dream girl in this movie although yeah. i do love that while they're splitting up the the dates she's just entering a random laundromat taking out random clothes and then Stealing selling stuff. it to a random pawn shop and he's like are yes. you selling those and like yes i'm selling my clothes and then he annoys her too much she just leaves without getting the money <laughs> <laughs> just day in the life of marla singer stuff so she says you didn't give your name cornelius rupert travis any of the names you use in the groups so cornelius of course planet of the apes Mm -hmm. rupert and travis uh the two major robert de niro characters with scorsese uh, uh, Rupert Pupkin, King of Comedy, which is oh. what uh, Joker is basically a remake of. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. And uh, Travis, you know, Travis Bickle, Taxi Driver. I I haven't seen either of those. Oh, I mean, great movies. And I think also a, a good, inf- they, they inform who the narrator is. <laughs> just the, the king of comedy thing like he envisions himself as the joker basically that rupert pupkin is a proto joker and travis bickle i mean you you kind of know basically taxi driver the concept and stuff though these are his heroes these are the names he's using these are who he envisions himself as if so if so if this uh came out in 2023 he'd be naming himself walter wright Walter White and Rick Sanchez, for example. Yeah, exactly. Totally. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> but Damn. you know, they're they're also kind of classic film stuff. So <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that too. So we get to his job, uh as in uh, he he Some investigates kind of insurance. He investigates recall claims. Claim, yeah. uh, like to decide whether uh, the the severity of an issue with the car accident merits a recall of the line. 
which he goes into a great deal about the mathematical formula involved in determining whether or not they're going to do a recall. Right, which is where the line you mentioned earlier comes from. This is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. Oh, that's where he says it. I just remember yeah. it from the soundtrack where like, it just right. shows up at times. Yeah, this is the speech that it arrives in. Oh, okay. So, where he's uh, going over his job and the numbers and the... Uh, the, the ratio and like why he would whether uh it would be enough to recall things and like what? <laughs> what 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 company do you work for like a one of the major one, one. <laughs> yeah. yeah in 1999 i was like oh my god this is horrible and in 2023 i'm like yeah this is what happens and we see tyler in real life for the first time in this montage where he's just going the other way on a moving walkway. Oh, in an airport. Yeah. Cause part of his job is he flies all over the place, which is, uh, turns out really handy if you're going to start franchises. Right. And maybe at this point, he's a real guy. Maybe, maybe he really did see this guy. <laughs> Cause we see him noticing him. Yeah. And we, we like the camera turns with him. So we mm. notice him too. And then it's it's just after that that he's he meets him on the plane. Shit, so maybe he just saw some random Brad Pitt looking dude and is like, I'm gonna make up a backstory for that guy and he's gonna be me. And it's like, hey, that guy's hot. I, I want I do I wanna be that guy? I do hmm. I wanna be I, him I want or be something with about him? that guy. It's it's like Johnny well, Cool. I'm <laughs> gonna do both. Yeah. So it's him going into his He's talking about the single serving living of travel, the, you know, individual. Yeah, single serving of sugar, coffee, single cracker, single serving friends. And one of the other places that Tyler's in the montage, he's in the big welcome where he's watching the motel uh, greeting video in his room. Tyler's in there. In the video? Yeah, he's one of the waiters in there. (laughs) Oh, he would be too, because he works in the kitchen of the hotel. (laughs) Don't eat the cream soup. Do not eat the cream of mushroom soup. (laughs) No. I mean, cream of mushroom? You you do get it. Um, I do now. (laughs) (laughs) So he, he finally meets Tyler on the plane, and they're talking about the illusion of safety. (laughs) <laughs> yeah how, uh, on the on the pamphlets where they're all doing the safety procedures everybody's perfectly calm everything's great it's because they're high it's oxygen gets you high that's why they drop the oxygen it's the edgelordiest shit like i knew people like this in high school too <laughs> i i knew people like this in high school and i thought they were so cool and i wanted to hang out with them and, that's, <laughs> and i wanted to hang out with tyler Durden. he was so cool <laughs> i was the i'm the target audience for his bullshit yeah i mean th- th- i think that's one of the beauty of one of the things that's beautiful about this movie is it shows why cults work like Tyler is very attractive, uh, both just physically he's attractive and his philosophy is mostly pretty attractive. Like there is the necessary cult stuff of pain in there and sacrifice yeah. and, you know, giving up everything for the cult and the cult business. But the it, it all kind of sounds like you're moving towards something good. It's just 
there's no point at which you get a share of that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, his whole thing is he just wants to collapse capitalism and that'll be it and everything will just fix itself that way. Right. His reverie of the post-industrial society later, I think, is very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, that does sound great, but you're not going to get us there with what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like... I don't know if you ever, like, I'm sure you played Rainbow Six. Did you ever read the Clancy novel? No, I never did. It's them fighting eco-terrorists, and they have basically this plot. Okay. <laughs> not not this one, but they, they have, uh, like, this is what they envision post-society to be, and they're very excited about it. Anyway, <laughs> he notices that they have the same briefcase. Oh, my God. They do, <laughs> in fact, have the exact same briefcase yeah <laughs> exactly the same and he opens it up and it's his soap it's a, with the paper street soap company on it <laughs> the best uh soap the best soap ever and we're gonna find out how he makes it later on right and he also mentions that you know with the byproducts of soap you can make napalm how about that <laughs> yeah uh I know guys who I, I knew so many people like, oh, yeah, well, with soap and this and this, you can make napalm. You mix bleach <laughs> yeah. and that. You make yeah, mustard yeah. gas. You make, you, blah, I mean, yeah, blah, blah, blah. anarchist cookbook shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the same people who would be <laughs> doing the other speech, the illusion yeah. of safety speech. The the oxygen masks conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's man. <laughs> Watching this as a 40-something-year-old in 2023, I'm just like, at this point, I'd be like, hey, does anybody want to switch seats? <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I want to mention, by the way, I like I am such a stupid fan of this movie. I do have Fight Club soap. I have like a <laughs> bar of pink soap with the Fight Club logo on it. It smells really nice. <laughs> I may have. I think I had some and actually used it. Nice. <laughs> I just have it because, like, yeah, why not? <laughs> so he gets to his destination after meeting Pitt because uh, he or Tyler Tyler leaves you know the thing uh, it's no question do I give you the ass or the crotch <laughs> <laughs> he passes by so but he, he gets to his destination and the TSA has taken his baggage uh, his, his baggage has been seized because it was vibrating now it is not company policy to in for ownership in the event of a dildo you say perhaps and he kind of looks at him and narrows it as your dildo <laughs> <laughs> it is always the dildo <laughs> yeah. i don't own a dildo he just dismissively waves him off he's like buddy like, i don't, I don't he's, I mean, he's, and he's like oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm on the other line <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we see in the background tyler stealing a ferrari in the back <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's funny because of how how it's framed when norton's uh when norton's watching uh it just looks like he's getting into a ferrari but then when he turns his back that's when he sees that, that he's stolen it right which is you know it, it feels like a michigan j frog gag <laughs> come back here that's my car and he he gets back to his apartment to find that it has exploded uh yep just his apartment though because like all the walls are fireproof they're big concrete blocks yeah, yeah it's a brutalist building yeah 
So, but of course, there is nothing left of his yin yang table and his mustard. And <laughs> yeah, he's so embarrassed. Like, how embarrassing! <laughs> fridge full of mustard and no food. Yeah, the fridge full of condiments and no food, and everything he owns has been lost because yep. his luggage was destroyed and his entire home. So he has nothing. <laughs> it's yeah, all just gone. The shirt on his back, pretty much. But, you know, he's an insurance adjuster, so he's yeah. well insured. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he'll be fine. Yeah. So it's very obvious that Tyler did it right from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> and it's obvious that, quote unquote, Tyler did it because it is him beginning his uh, search for self-destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Because um... one of the things he does, he he kind of ponders on calling Mar- Marla and then decides to call Tyler instead. It's him making a choice which way to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you ask me today, I couldn't tell you why I called Tyler. Still haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. So he he phones, and there's no answer, but he hangs up, and he immediately calls back, and he's <laughs> eating on the phone. <laughs> yeah, you called <laughs> me. <laughs> I never answer my phone. <laughs> so they they meet up at lou's tavern lou's tavern's a great location Mm -hmm. (laughs) the the home of the first fight club yeah yeah but i really love the scene when lou shows up oh yeah later on so they uh, tyler is giving his speech on anti-consumerism and it is like it's it's like, I don't even disagree with, you know, uh, anti-consumerism in general. It's just his philosophy is explicitly toxic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of there's there's a lot of truth to it. Like the things you own, own you can. Yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. It did with him. It's just certainly the, the thing is that, well, I mean, that's because in the end, Tyler is. Uh, attacking himself you know he or uh, whatever uh but he explicitly says murder crime poverty these things don't concern me and then he goes into the other thing he's saying like the only thing he cares about is that other people care about stupid stuff he just needs to be in every other other person's bullshit which again really speaks to the uh, rise of cult adjacent hate groups, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just needs to be against whatever is out there. Just whatever he just needs to be against something. I think. Well, it's. I would say this is a huge satire of Gen X. The, like Tyler <laughs> is a manifestation of the most nihilistic impulses of Gen X altogether and the philosophies of, uh, you know, the nineties and, you know, the Douglas Copeland, the uh, Mick job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this is where we get the, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. And then we get the Tyler jobs montage before <laughs> yeah. we, we get into the fight itself. Yeah. So this was where I first learned about the little dot about in films on the projector thing. Okay, yeah. The the uh, cigarette burns. Now I see it everywhere. Well, I see I used to see it everywhere. I, I don't really see it in Blu-rays anymore. 
no very uncommon yeah yeah i mean usually they're scanning from the negative once in a while some of the old grindhouse stuff you know they're working from prints and you still see them but yeah uh, much less common I, I saw them a lot more in the dvd era yeah yeah um i i i after seeing this i did notice them all the time mm-hmm. and i was like well that's neat i wonder if that's actually true or if that's just a thing tyler said no yeah no it's it's totally true oh cool and of course, just splicing porn into stuff where they <laughs> they do show it, it, it like they're the the way it's shown is absurd because you have a whole like uh, sound in the middle of the yeah the that changeover. wouldn't be there <laughs> yeah they don't know they saw it but they did and you see like children crying it's yeah every, the, all the different reactions of people in the audience it's like hmm <laughs> yeah interesting and of course Tyler is also a waiter. At a yeah. banquet hotel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't eat the cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where he's trying to pee in the soup and the narrator is talking. He's like, stop, I can't. Can't come you watch me. <laughs> well, like the narrator is talking to the screen. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of the, that bit from uh, Deranged where the where the camera would just pan over and the narrator's yeah. right there in the scene. <laughs> yes. and, and, and Ezra's just looking at him while he's doing the killing, like, hey, can you get out of here? Yeah, I love that bit. That was so good. <laughs> so, yeah, we to the fight, how much do you know, how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? This is uh, explicit toxic masculinity. This is like so, a... a... <laughs> My whole thing was that at this point, I didn't know anything about myself, and I was looking for any answer I could find. And exactly. here is a guy who's seemingly presenting a possible answer. It's like, oh, well, maybe if I get into a fight, I'll know about myself. This movie's got it figured out. And I mean, this is exactly the same position that the narrator is in. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they fight. <laughs> Yeah, it's an illustration of how cult thought works. And yeah, they have their fight. They fight. They fight. <laughs> you know, they, they, he, he beats himself up and he rolls around in the, in the concrete and then he goes back to the house on Paper Street. Yeah, which uh, he didn't know if Tyler was renting or squatting, but neither would surprise him. Yeah, uh, and later he learns that it's his name on the the lease because obviously it is. <laughs> of course it is. How else could it he even bought work? It. <laughs> so the the Fight Club starts to build up because it's just him fighting himself, or it's him and Tyler fighting outside Lou's on subsequent, like on multiple nights, to the point that they start getting crowds, and then he starts fighting other people. Yeah, um, I. It's a little. It a little stretches uh, the suspension of disbelief that nobody would say, "Hey, buddy, why are you beating yourself up?" But it works. I mean, it's also. I I think this is kind of a religion satire in the the, the Adam oh. and Eve question. I mean, if you only had those two people to start, is everyone a product of incest then? Hmm. <laughs> And also, I guess, like the whole thing I was just talking about, how people are looking for an answer, and here's a guy right. who might have one. Yeah, like you want to fight? And he's like, "Hey, can I can I go next?" And like, "Yeah, let let's all fight." <laughs> this guy must be enlightened. And they have all these great conversations about if you could fight anyone, who would you fight? It's a question. 
if you could fight anyone, who would you fight? <laughs> oh my God. Well, me, I found out after a few failed attempts to start a fight club that I'm actually not good at it at all. <laughs> like not remotely good at fighting. Um, I would fight. So whoever it is is going to demolish me, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. I would fight female prisoner Scorpion. <laughs> that's I'm a good way to go anyway, right yeah yeah that's a pretty good way to go yeah i know it is a tough question because i also am not a person who's ever been interested in fighting you know, i've gotten scraps as a kid at times but you know i don't know <laughs> it is a very <laughs> tough thing to say um hmm. yeah i'm really not sure <laughs> Uh, I, I can't imagine having enough animosity to get into a battle with someone. <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh. so we're, we're getting into the background of the characters, how it, uh, he talks about his dad starting franchises of, of families that he just like has all these separate families. Oh, yeah. Like the whole the whole, oh, I've got a secret family over in that state thing. But apparently, but like times a whole bunch right and he i think the narrator says that and then tyler says his thing about his dad and like the the call before college and they're both he keeps echoing he's like oh yeah exactly and they they really get each other because they had the same dad <laughs> this is the same literal person <laughs> uh, raised them both because they only because he only raised the one yeah, so he he has this line that I think is again really pointed toward the uh, both the toxic masculinity and sort of the queer concept. The, the, he says the generation of men raised by women. It's like I'm not sure another woman is the answer we need. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was like they're like lying. I think in bed or in a bathtub or something. When I, they're yeah, saying I, this. I think uh, Tyler's in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it's like, wow, how did I not catch this? <laughs> <laughs> I I remember when I was in university, it was like uh, 2007-ish maybe. I was in a postmodern uh postmodern literature class and the, for whatever reason because of postmodern uh, as a concept is sort of nebulous, when we watched Fight Club and the teacher had never seen it before and He's like, I've I've never heard people talk about the gay subtext. How do you not talk about the gay subtext here? <laughs> <laughs> it's really there. <laughs> well, I didn't want to see it. See, when I was uh, <laughs> still thinking I was a cis male in my teens, I was like, right. I was very much, well, I don't have a problem with gay people, but that <laughs> I, was I always knew gay stance. people. <laughs> I. Well, I but, didn't have gay friends, but you know. Well, you lived in a really small town too. I really That's, did. That is yeah. tough. You yeah. may have had gay friends that you. I probably not did. So, I I think just the the point with him with the I don't I'm not sure another woman is the answer we need. It feels like this is where it's getting to the root of this movie examining this weird undercurrent of disenfranchised and mostly white. And exclusively male rage, mm -hmm. as just 
this epidemic that's uh, boiling under. And yeah. they're fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Like this, this movie basically telegraphs, I guess, the last, what, six or seven years of politics or more? Fair amount of it, yeah. Yeah. So they, they established the first fight club under yep. Lou's Tavern. Yep. I, I love when, like, Brad Pitt and then Edward Norton just behind him are walking down like celebrities. Tyler gave the rules that he and I decided. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the rules, I mean, I can't. Yeah, everyone knows the rules. Like, <laughs> the first rule about Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Right. Uh, and it's another support group. Yeah. <laughs> it is a support group. It's like, um, it's a support group for men with terminal masculine rage and no outlet in life. <laughs> um, boiling over. Yeah. The... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boiling over. Removing. Oh, shoot. Something like that. It'd be called something like that. <laughs> Closeted and shut down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they keep having these different uh there's there are two other ones which celebrity would you fight uh and there's uh tyler says hemingway and <laughs> narrator says william shatner <laughs> good picks good picks yeah <laughs> uh, and that's also where you have that bit where they're on the bus and looking at the calvin klein and <laughs> self-improvement is masturbation self-destruction on the other hand self-destruction on the other hand which you know that's you know that's not a great philosophy but also the the self-improvement is masturbation he's he's in love with himself he is talking to himself on the bus (laughs) so so he's that guy that talks to the ads on the bus that we all see (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh man uh, and he the the other one which which historical figure would you fight and narrator Gandhi. I want to fight Gandhi. <laughs> Tyler, uh, Lincoln, just a huge fucking huge oh, reach on that, that guy. Reach, yeah. He's like yeah. a Frankenstein. Oh, totally. <laughs> so uh, his, his thing on the, on the fights, like when a fight was over, nothing was solved, but nothing mattered. <laughs> he he is like continue to say like yeah he's, you know, he, <laughs> he, he's is... saying how it didn't help and it's not actually doing anything but you kind of feel like you're doing something it's like doing coke or or describing masturbation yeah that too <laughs> so and and that's right after the self-improvement is masturbation line like yeah you know it's, it's yeah <laughs> And then there's also the thing where he's getting stitched up and he says, sometimes Tyler spoke for me. He fell down the stairs. I fell down some stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Which, again, it's sort of establishing him as an abusive uh, partner. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, and of course, I'm thinking like, hey, that's like something an abusive partner says. Why wouldn't the doctor see that? Because it didn't happen. (laughs) Because it was in his head. So... (laughs) Suddenly, out of nowhere, Marla calls up because he just hasn't been going to the groups. <laughs> you haven't been going to the groups? How do you know? We split them up. Well, I cheated. I cheated and went to the other ones. 
It's like, did you find something else? I'm like, yeah, I found this new group. But it's for men only. Oh, like the <laughs> testicle thing. Yeah. yeah, like the testicle thing. <laughs> but the, the thing is, she has swallowed a bottle of Xanax. And he Doesn't plays like, he, he, yeah, he's like, I don't care. Uh, I, I, I would like you to just die. That's fine. And he leaves the phone off the hook. And who should come in but Tyler? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not We see a dream sequence of him having sex with Marla, but we're it's not ambiguous. really sure yeah. what he did after putting the phone on the hook. Because um, it's there's there is it's not even a thing where like we see Tyler, like we see the the phone not on the like it's it's just sitting on top of the the phone. And then there's that weird transition that's a sex scene that Marla is in, but it's not clear who else is. Yeah, it, it's blurry. It's it's shot like it kind of like an abstract painting. There's quite a lot like the the pull out of his head in the opening or the pull oh, out yeah. of his trash in the other one. I think that's <laughs> earlier in the office from like the Microsoft Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, he's he uh is just chilling in the kitchen the next morning and then he's, he's talking about last night and marla comes in like i can hardly believe anything about last night <laughs> and is just like what are you doing here and i i love her very authentic reaction like a a, a good pause and like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah excuse me what's like, your problem dude <laughs> yeah and then like her processing this and we ne- we never get to see this from her perspective, but I've been trying to like this time. I tried to think about how everything looks to her, and I think you really getting... can see it in these scenes. Mm. She's she's getting dicked around hard. Oh yeah, I think anytime like, you see a scene that's just her and the narrator from this point forward, it's just her like wondering why her boyfriend is being so fucking weird all of a sudden. Yeah, like. <laughs> This this first time it kind of makes I, I it makes a certain amount of sense like oh this was just a one time thing get out of here this was a one night stand get out mm-hmm. I see what this is okay bye yeah he's like fine jeez whatever you weirdo and she leaves and Tyler comes in and he <laughs> he just says like you never really I found the phone off the hook and he goes and I could see the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> and it is exactly what you're imagining. Well, because he has a flashback of what happened rather than he's yeah. told it. Because yeah, it happened well, to him. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the whole story before he told me. I didn't really, the first time, of course, I didn't realize that that's what he meant. It was more like, yeah, I know where this is going. And Tyler even says, you know what I mean? You fucked her. No, and he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> and it, it's a point where it's like, which one is he jealous of? Because it's immediately clear that he's jealous, but it's not clear if he's jealous of Tyler or he's jealous of Marla. It's hard to say. Well, <laughs> at this point, it's impossible to say. And it's also like, I think there, there's also a measure of him being jealous of her getting onto his self-destruction trip, too. Because uh-huh. she was she had this suicide attempt and now she's uh, coming over here and like, Hey, this is my shit. You're you're doing it again. Yeah, yeah. Go back to your meetings that you love so much. Stop doing stuff. Stop 
taking stop reflecting me back at me yeah it's like what, what do you mean you're doing self-destruction no that's a man thing you're not allowed to do that <laughs> and like ultimately the the concept is he's just dissociating when he's having sex with her but uh-huh. other than that, he's just not paying any attention to her. So, like, even when he is physically with her, he's somewhere else thinking about other shit because he's totally dissociated. Yeah, Which, yeah. Again, speaks to the queer idea that he has to dissociate during sex. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a good point. So the police finally phone him up to say that the they're, they've been investigating the explosion of his apartment. Oh, uh, I, I want to, before we do that, I do want to mention, like, very important that Tyler says to the narrator and that he immediately complies, even though he hates this oh, right. idea. Yeah. Don't mention me. Yeah, don't ever mention me. And it, they they become like his parents, except one of them is just him because he's become yeah. his dad. And I always found it weird at the be- like the first time. It's like, well, why doesn't he do it? Why would he com- comply with this request that he, that he despises? And because... Because it's his Tyler, own complaint. It's what he, yeah, it's, it's it's what he wants thing. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the police call and it's like, hey, that explosion was intentional. And he doesn't, he's not surprised. He he says, I am Jack's cold sweat. Yeah. Because he's, they're onto him. They're onto him, yeah. <laughs> and, and the whole time, Tyler's like, why don't you just tell him you did it? Yeah, tell just him. Tell him you did it. Tell him that the liberator who destroyed my property has realigned my perceptions. <laughs> but he's going off. It's like, this wasn't just stuff. This was my life. This and, was. Yeah. And he's just like, tell him you did it. Tyler says, tell him you did it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was right around here where I'm like, oh, fuck, I bet Tyler did it. Yeah. Which, but it's technically true. They both did it, and they both they're did kind it. of both saying, like Tyler is saying, "Tell him you did it." But I mean, the way Tyler describes it does sound like he did it, and they know oh, yeah. that he did it. Then just the "I am Jack's cold sweat" suggests that he knows he did it mm-hmm. already. Yeah, and so, the cops just like, "Hey, let me know if you leave town." Right, and so there, there's the. Uh, the except for the humping, Tyler and Marla were never in the same room. Yeah, just like the parents, and he had to deliver messages back and forth between them. And he's just a total dick to her anytime he's delivering a message to her, which is anytime he's talking to her outside of bed. Yeah, yeah. She only she never actually sees Tyler when he's not fucking. It's only ever him. Because she makes him too self-aware, so he can't actually have any sort of relationship with her. It it makes him look at himself too much. And then, (laughs) you know, when he's actually having sex with her, he's dissociating and thinking of the other things he needs to do. And being jealous of himself. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Oh my god. And then he's getting all, like, weirded out when she's seducing him in the kitchen the next day, which is a thing that would be a normal thing for her to do but he's freaking out yeah he's weirded out about it because he just doesn't get it yeah and this is where the cult starts and i think it's kind of a a second trigger moment because the first one was start was triggered by marla getting into his face and the second one is too Mm -hmm. so uh, the soap making expedition (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> they, it turns out. <laughs> so they, they go into the liposuction clinic and uh, steal a bunch of human fat. We're selling their rich fat asses back to them. And it's just like, it's the best soap. It's super high quality. Oh, we go best. through the the rendering process and drain off the nitro. Yep. And Which, of course, have, you could use later. Of course, necessarily. We're going to have a lot of dynamite. Yep. And the very important, the kiss, the lie kiss. This mm. is lie. And he, he pours a bunch of lie on his hand after he's kissed the hand. So the moisture from the kiss turns into this kiss scar. Yep. And, and it's this whole thing. It's like, don't shut out this pain. As yeah. he's like trying to go I, back into his cave. Yeah. And it's him. It, it is the forming of the cult because the, the kiss burn is the entry point for all cult members uh-huh. as we go forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's when Norton says to him, it's like, you don't know how this feels. And, and Tyler holds up his hand with the exact same scar because, of course, it has the exact it's the same, same hand, scar. Yeah, but it's, well, like, it's the same lips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> so he tells him, "Our fathers were our models for God. So if they bailed, what does that tell us about God?" Uh, yep, another one of those edge lords things that I kind of clinged on to. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think there there is something about that in terms of the, the there is a religious allegory to a lot of this and the cult element of it. Uh-huh. Uh, but he he's becoming his father and abandoning his own life. Well, yeah, damn, <laughs> totally. So, so he he starts to get in conflict with his boss because the boss finds one of his rules of fight club. <laughs> Why was he printing out the rules of fight club anyway? <laughs> well, that's never explained because the, the rules of fight club are such that this cult shouldn't ever actually grow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that that's sort of the, the, the gag of it. And he, they they do point at that, but they do. <laughs> how would you, why? Like, I don't imagine that they would ever write them down because you don't talk about it, so you, you should never have it written down. But anyway, yeah, the, the rules of Fight Club xeroxed in the machine. I think just as a point to get the boss to come look at him. That's probably what it was. I think it was just like a yes, yeah, start something with me today. I dare you. Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't. Th- this is only just the first prick at it because he doesn't really go all the way but he kind of suggests that he might do a mass shooting at work yeah yeah he's basically (laughs) like well i think whoever made this is very dangerous and maybe you shouldn't mess with that person or maybe you shouldn't just bring me every piece of trash you find yeah although it's obviously a threat (laughs) oh very obviously is this where he's not even wearing his tie anymore i think so (laughs) he's just looks so haggard but this is where Marla calls him at work because she uh, is concerned about breast cancer and she wants him to check her breast for a lump. Yeah, and he's weirded. He's like, wow, she called me instead of Tyler. <laughs> how would you call Tyler? <laughs> you don't call how Tyler. How would anyone call Tyler? Of course well, she called him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if Tyler were real. <laughs> well, he's got that old-timey phone that might sometimes work in paper street and that he'll maybe call back on if he happens to be there if he happens to so 
I, I like the, the bit when he's feeling for the lump and he has his hand on her breast. She asks him, you feel nothing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah, he's not getting what she's getting at. He's like, no, nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> like, hmm, hmm. So then he leaves and he runs into Bob. <laughs> Bob's like, hey, I got this new thing. But and I'm not supposed to talk about it. The first rule is... <laughs> you're not supposed to talk but and the second rule like bob bob look at me <laughs> I remember. look you look how too. fucked up my face is <laughs> i go on tuesdays and thursdays it's like oh i go on fridays so then we have the uh norton and bob fight where they just like <laughs> hug and there's tears at the end and it sort of like brings the two worlds together Mm -hmm. and predictably of course bob kicks his ass yeah bob is a mountain (laughs) bob was a professional bodybuilder and that's that's Mm -hmm. why he has the tits it's from the uh uh, all of the juicing he did yeah he has to get him drained all the time that's sounds poor bob worse so Tyler does one of his sermons where, cause he's starting to become a cult leader. So he says, I see in fight club, the smartest and strongest men who ever lived. <laughs> I, I love does that sound whole... familiar, by the way, does that sound like, I don't know, any political. Oh, yeah, you were like the, you're <laughs> entitled to the future, but these people trying to replace you. And he, he has this, this is what I think is the crux of the, the movie's, or his argument, I guess, is just TV lied to us. <laughs> TV said we were special and that we'd all be millionaires and we're all disenfranchised millionaires temporarily. But but we swallowed it and now we're mad. <laughs> it's like you're you're mad because you believed television? That's your fault. <laughs> well, I mean we <laughs> We were promised also by our parents that we would have lives at least as good as theirs, and that didn't true, happen. True. Yeah. Well, I. I mean, but, that's that. That's not yet. This is still ninety nine. The the oh, bust that, happened oh a few God. years later. <laughs> Shit, I forgot that was because of Gen the X other was thing. disenfranchised for ten years before that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. This is just Gen so X. they're just kind of whining. Well, I mean, it's it is a weird thing that I feel that is a really interesting point about Gen X is that they were disenfranchised because the boomers wouldn't fucking leave. They never they they wouldn't. They still haven't. They're still there. They never let the the let Gen X or millennials or Zoomers fucking take over any responsibility. And they're just fucking decrepit at the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just Gen X were the first to be like, "Hey, what the fuck." <laughs> when's our turn oh never yeah because i i mean th- that's the point of this being a cult that is to an extent attractive because they're not altogether wrong yeah they're right yeah. about certain things it's just their solutions aren't right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean their their acts of terrorism are won't they don't do anything although they're almost cute in a way they're yeah. kind of adorable for the I most do kind of like like the harmless terrorist acts they do. Well, they're they're homework assignments. Yeah. <laughs> so first, before those, Lou shows up. Lou of Lou's Tavern. He finally turns up at the place. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, we got to deal with the owner. Yeah. I'm the owner and you ain't got to deal with me. This place is called Lou's Tavern. I'm Lou. <laughs> and Tyler decides to fight him and, but not fight him, get beat up by him. Yeah. He's basically like taunting him. He's like, Hey, it's like, you get the point. No, I don't get the point. And he's just, like, ah, I lost out of it. And he's doing his big Brad Pitt laugh. <laughs> we really like it here, Lou. Please let us stay. After he's got the shit kicked out of him, he just tackles him and starts So much blood him. just coming out of his mouth. Yeah, he's just fucking wrecked up. <laughs> just please let us stay, Lou. I'm begging you. And of course, Lou's Lou ultimately like, out. fine, you fucking sick weirdo. <laughs> you can use the place. Yep. <laughs> And this leads into the first homework assignment. Like, everyone picks him up. I, notably, uh, the narrator is one of the people on one shoulder. It's, like, hmm. <laughs> it's not a lot of help. Uh, yeah. But the first homework assignment is to start a fight with a total stranger and lose. Which is what he just did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's like, it. so it looks like he just got into this fight and found enlightenment to the onlooker. Right, except, so uh, there, there's a couple, there's three kind of fun ones where we see just different Fight Club members doing their stuff. There's the guy who goes, tries to beat up the Cadillac dealer. Yeah. <laughs> there's the priest the, the the guy keeps hosing. <laughs> the guy, yeah, yeah the, the priest is the one who picks a fight with him. Well, no, no, the, the guy with the hose keeps hosing the priest, and then, yeah, the, the priest finally beats him up and... Then we see the priest in Fight Club later, which is fun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and uh, Meatloaf is just trying to tackle businessmen in this one crowded thoroughfare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doesn't like he eventually get chased by a guy with a bicycle? I no, he, he is chasing guy. a guy with a bicycle. Oh, yeah, right. he's chasing someone biking through. Yeah, but yeah, the whole thing being Norton's like this is actually harder than it sounds in our society. Yeah, people will avoid a fight whenever possible. Yeah. Yeah. It it is notable that the way our narrator does the fight with a total stranger, he has a fight with himself in the boss's office. Yeah. He loses a fight to himself in the boss's office. Or to a total stranger. Because he is a total stranger. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) And and as as he's doing it, like... He, he's being called in for a performance review or something yeah. like that. And he, he has been spiraling the drain for some time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And basically, they're like, the guy's like, I'm going to fire you. And he just starts. He's like, I've got a better idea. <laughs> Why don't you give me my whole pay and I don't show up anymore? <laughs> yeah. He just starts beating the shit out of himself and it pauses. He's like, for some reason, I started thinking about my first fight with Tyler. Yeah. For some reason, I thought of my first fight. With Tyler. And yeah, and then he, he crashes through the bunk. Because yeah, he's just fighting himself again. Yeah. And he's also doing the same thing Tyler did with Lou. Yeah, it's which just, is he's not getting out by getting your ass kicked. Except he's not he, it's it's with an absent partner. Mm-hmm. His thing. Again, he's always doing these things with an absent partner. <laughs> Lou isn't fighting him here. He's doing the fight with Lou without Lou present. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so more the the homework assignments continue. So there there's the vandalism 
<laughs> fake the fake billboard fun to recycle your pets uh, <laughs> I, I love the one where they just feed all the pigeons feed all the pigeons above the bmw dealership put all the bird seat <laughs> there yeah uh they they switched the emergency landing instructions to have uh, a bunch of people on fire and grinning <laughs> and like screaming and shit yeah <laughs> they uh magnetize all of the the, the tapes in a blockbuster all sorts of shit <laughs> Yeah, they uh, they drill holes into the tops of computer monitors that are on display at like a Radio Shack or whatever. I think it's an Apple castle. store. Oh, okay. Apple store. Yeah, that this I think is the rapid escalation. Now they're actually blowing stuff up. Mm-hmm. And then next is human sacrifice. Yeah. So this scene, I. I don't know. I had some interesting thoughts about this scene, even at the time. I was, I, I guess we should talk about what the human sacrifice is first. Yeah. So th- this is the first place that the movie really gets dark in terms of what the cult is doing. It it feels like things take a darker turn. So it's this guy Raymond Kessel, yeah, he and uh, he and Tyler are going past a convenience store, and they just take the guy out back. Or Tyler takes the guy out back and puts a gun to the back of his head and says, I'm going to execute you. Yeah. He, he takes the guy's wallet and is like, hey, what did you want to be in your life? Or something like that. Yeah. Or, and he's like, I, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to study, but it was too hard. So I worked at a convenience store. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's... It's not, hard to do upward mobility in, yeah. in this thing. I, and like, it, it's it's so hypocritical honestly <laughs> because it super is because he, it is the he opposite has, of what yeah Tyler. like well it's it's the opposite of the entire fight club philosophy that yeah. you know we are disenfranchised and we have no way to do anything so we're just going to self-destruct and fight each other to death but these people you know they're not members of fight club they haven't joined our inner circle so they have to be terrorized into doing uh the things that we wish we would do with our own lives yeah, so he basically says to the guy, like, hey, I'm going to come, I'm going to take your wallet, keep your ID, I'm going to check on you in six months, and if you're not well on your way to being a veterinarian, I'm going to kill you. Right. And then, like, much later on, we see a door with just a, an entire back of a door in the house on Paper Street with the driver's licenses that they've collected from these. Yeah, so when I first saw this movie, I was like, well, that's really kind of cool in a way what he did for this guy which is kind of also how norton uh men frames it too like now yeah this he, guy is gonna go got a fire no, that, under his ass well yeah in it uh, uh tyler frames it as you know tomorrow is going to be the best day of his life you know everything's going to taste wonderful because he's had this brush with death yeah. but it's not really like that. You're going to give this guy fucking PTSD and he's sure. going to be looking over his shoulder for someone to come at him every day. He's not going to get through school. Fuck no. What He's going to be thinking the whole time, <laughs> what if I haven't done enough to be a veterinarian? Yeah. Or or what if uh, I fucking fail my class? You know, the, the anxiety will destroy this man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it is... It is a completely absurd and futile gesture because it, they don't care. It's it's all about performativeness. Yeah, it's all about, well, you better just use the opportunity that I gave you. And, and it's like, he, now he has to take out student loans. He's fucked. 
Yeah, I it just I don't buy it as a, a, any sort of solution, especially with how directly hypocritical it is that yeah. it, it definitely feels like just them going out and like it's their homework assignment and it's them punishing people who aren't already a part of Fight Club. So I got a <laughs> so bit of a theory. Out. Okay, yeah. Uh, that I just came up with, that I just like started piecing together this time watching it. But why is it called Human Sacrifice? Um, so what I'm thinking is he's got all these IDs and all these people who are working towards this, that, or the other thing. What if for one of his jobs, he needs a veterinarian for something? He gets a guy who looks kind of like a guy on one of the IDs and is like, you're posing as a veterinarian. Maybe he's like, maybe he's using it that way because these guys always seem to be able to get into things. I think that's just because they all work in all of these places. I, that's I don't what think I thought at first like too, that. and I still do think a lot of it is that, but why is it called human sacrifice? That's the, that's the thing that kind of bothered me. Because he's going, he's claiming he's going to kill him when when he says it, it's time for the next thing, human sacrifice. He says it to our narrator, so there is the tension that he's actually oh. going to murder this guy. Oh, okay. So, no, so I, it's I performative even in that way. Yeah, it's completely performative. Oh shit! <laughs> and so he finally goes to talk to Marla. He's like, th this thing shakes him enough that he does need to speak to Marla, and he starts to drift towards her point of view over the rest of the movie from here mm -hmm. but he's still not self-aware enough and there, there's the line where he says what does a weaker person get out of latching onto a stronger person <laughs> and he thinks he's saying that to marla about yeah. herself attaching herself to tyler she thinks he's saying it about her about him and she puts she throws it back and says what do you get out of it and he thinks <laughs> and he doesn't know what she's talking about what do i get he's like no but that's totally different because he thinks she's talking about him and tyler and it's like no tyler it's like hold on i i want to can we continue this conversation but then tyler starts making noise in another room <laughs> yeah yeah and he's like are you hearing this hearing what i'm like i excuse me and he like just leaves the room like what's going on uh, don't but, mention me just the the she's like the she sees the kiss on the back of his hand and is like what what was that is it was it a guy or a girl like what does it matter <laughs> i i mean i'm interested to know because there's something weird with you <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> that you know you're always dissociating we're having sex you are a complete weirdo anytime we're not uh, is there maybe something going on with you? <laughs> uh, which, of course, he just shuts it all completely down. Well, Tyler does. Or Ty yeah. <laughs> Tyler's making noise and like, you gotta stop this right now. Yeah. Oh, I told yeah. You not right. to talk about me. Get rid of her, he says. Yeah. It's like, you get rid of her. And this is sort of where Tyler starts to move toward potentially hurting or killing her. Mm -hmm. So then the first applicant arrives for training <laughs> and of course edward norton has no clue what's going on like what the hell is this oh well if they're too short tell them they're too short if they're too old tell them they're too old yeah if they're old tell them they're too old uh if they're short tell them they're too short so it's three days that they have to wait outside while constantly being abused yeah uh so much cult 
like this is like yeah. the cultist this thing is, ever. This is cult handbook stuff. Yeah. Uh Bob is next is second person in line. Yeah. And he <laughs> and just he, he he almost gets scared off by the very first thing. You're too yeah. old, fat man. Yeah, and he almost leaves. So Norton comes out and just says to him, like, no, hey, hey, this is how it is. How must that look to Bob? Right, yeah. It's him telling him this thing, and then he starts to walk away, and then it's him really being pulled in with friendship in a, in a really unfortunate way for him because he immediately warms up to him and goes and like no no it's, it's this is just a whole it's thing just, you gotta... it's a thing we're doing you just have yeah. to do this and you'll get in yeah it's it's him doing both parts yeah he he's the good yeah. cop and the bad cop yeah so the first guy finally gets in he shaves his head he's a space monkey ready <laughs> to sacrifice himself for the greater good uh, yeah that that's that's what he calls so he's talking about like individuality and stuff and like how you aren't the stuff you buy you are you aren't your bank account you are your own person but then he takes away all their individuality because you need them for the cult yeah i, I mean th- this is how a cult breaks people down it's the it is textbook shit yeah uh, <laughs> so third person in line is jared leto blondie mm-hmm the <laughs> he's pretty and it's a well, problem <laughs> i mean he's jared leto in 1999 so yeah i guess so yeah so they, they they have tyler with the bullhorn doing the you are not special you are not a beautiful and unique snowflake you are the same decaying organic matter as anyone else he's very burrowsian yeah so snowflake of course the the popular yeah. term used now comes directly from this film Yes. Uh, and again, people using it missing the point. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, we've illustrated how I did. <laughs> but there's this very interesting scene of Jack really noticing Jared Leto. Mm. Like just him noticing the shit out of him. Uh, and it, it there's the it's it's this sense of closeted queerness and leto is very eagerly into him because like he's he's sort of warming up he, he's trying to get in with tyler and with the narrator yeah yeah so he's you know he's he's doing his best to please them which well and i think he is maybe more aware of it like he he seems to be I don't know. I feel like he's also kind of actively deflecting his own homosexuality. Because Leto's that... character is, or yeah, yeah, Leto's character. Because there's that part when the news comes on and the news reporter, he's the one that goes, "She's hot," and everyone <laughs> kind of looks at him, like, <laughs> "Right, all right, guy." <laughs> yeah, we get it. You're real straight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's the first news report about project mayhem which is a total fucking uh shock to to our jack yeah yeah they did this thing where they lit two offices on fire in a building and made it so that they're the eyes of this graffiti smiley face it's pretty rad honestly like it (laughs) but yeah he's all like she's hot but when norton comes in with the beer he's like let me get that for you sir yeah let me get that for you sir he really wants to cozy up to him yeah and on the news, the police are like, look, we know it's related to all these underground boxing clubs that are popping up. <laughs> so 
they know it's fight clubs. Yeah. The fight clubs are involved in this. They know the, the cult is doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, in, that's another interesting perspective that we don't see at all as the police investigation. Cause it doesn't, right. it's, it's not, it doesn't really matter, but we just a little bit enough to know that there is one going on. Right. I mean, Jack is actor. The narrator is actively shutting it out. You know, yeah. there's the point where the cop calls him and says, we are sure someone blew up your apartment intentionally. He's like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It kind of like hangs up on him. Yeah. So he's like, what the hell is this? And Bob is like, oh, well, the first rule of Project Mayhem is you do not ask questions, sir. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Tyler has set it up like, hey. Even nobody, don't answer questions from anybody, even me. That's right. This has always got to be the answer. Tyler has set this up everywhere. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm the leader. I'm always going to be testing you. Yeah. Which, of course, cult leaders do all the time. Cult leaders absolutely do this. (laughs) Norton doesn't know that that's what he's doing here. No. Which is weird because he is also him, but yeah. the police or the the police chief, he feels like he's going to get real tough on these guys. So they oh yeah go to this banquet and they threaten him. Yep, turns out the uh, turns out all the people, all the waiters at the banquet are or have been replaced with could be, I think probably are Fight Club people. I think they are because uh, this is where Tyler was working at the beginning. Like he's yeah. probably been recruiting there from the beginning. Oh, sure. They're his mean, guys. Yeah. This definitely. is his original job. Yeah. I mean, these people would know him before Fight Club. So also I want to call out the banquet being end crime in our time, which is <laughs> fucking comical, right? That's some war on crime bullshit. <laughs> peace in our time (laughs) (laughs) and crime in our time come on and so they 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 grab the police chief and they take him in the bathroom they threaten to cut his testicles off if he doesn't leave them alone yeah we are the people who park your cars we flip your burgers we wash your toilets or whatever yeah don't fuck with us i mean it's it's the the immigrant song from uh, (laughs) hamilton yeah i never Uh, saw hamilton i've heard it i haven't seen it Mm. (laughs) i don't care to Uh, (laughs) there was a time when it was like yeah it was years ago now (laughs) yeah 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 oh my god it's like got to be 10 years now or more it's not that much but i mean it was before the pandemic for sure oh definitely oh yeah so uh on the way out of the place the narrator gets really mad at tyler because he gets close to leto yeah they're all there's that yeah they're kind of hugging they're they're getting close together so this is a really interesting psychological point he's jealous of tyler or is he mad at himself indulging something he's trying to suppress um I think he, because he doesn't say why he's so angry here, and it, and in fact, the first time, first few times I watched it, I didn't realize that the scene where he beats up Leto is right after this, right after he's looking, yeah, right after he's looking at them and stewing. Yeah, he, it is straight obvious that it is jealousy, but it also feels like self-loathing externalized. Yeah, like I think that he thinks that it's a. Uh, I'm Tyler's number one guy, but I'm not in on any of this stuff. That guy is fuck that guy. But 
at a surface level, yeah. I think that's his explanation to himself. But yeah, yeah I think it's I think a lot of him. self-hate. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think quite transparently. Yeah. Uh, well, at the end, he's like, I wanted to destroy something beautiful. Yeah. Basically, he's recognizing so that can. he's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. So I can't, don't have to worry about being attracted to him anymore. Exactly. Yeah. He just, he really badly beats him down. It's, it's quite brutal. Yeah. It, like Tyler's even like, dude, where'd you go? Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. So like, then we get into that bizarre car scene. Yeah. So <laughs> this scene must look so odd to the two guys in the back seat. Just two random dudes in the backseat, and it's them having, like, a lover's spat. Tyler and the narrator in the front seat. And, and the two guys are just in the back, like, wide-eyed, like, eyes straight forward, just, we don't want to be part of this. We are ignoring this. Well, and uh, they only respond to a few things, so I don't know how much of it is actually being said, either. And that's, that, that's sort of hard to say. Another thing, yeah. Um, but... One of the things that Tyler says is, forget everything you know about life, friendship, and especially you and me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know anything about any of that shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he tests him by driving into oncoming traffic. And uh, it is this, it's sort of a manifestation of the self-destruction philosophy. And it's him doing a test of his faith. Yeah. And and predictably, of course, they get into a crash. Yeah, he keeps telling, just let go, because uh, the narrator keeps trying to grab the wheel and actually steer things. Like, look at you. So they crash, and they get out of different sides of the car than they were in originally. Oh, shit, that's right. I, I remember, <laughs> like, way back in the day, reading about all the different clues, but I forgot to look out for this particular one. But I yeah, remember was... hearing about it. Yeah, that, that one is is pretty definite. And they get out and say, hey, you just had a near-life experience. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. so, and Tyler has this fantasy while they're, because I, I guess Norton is sick for a period or something. He's he goes kind with, of stopping existing for a bit. Yeah. He's backburnered. He's yeah. he is in the sunken place while Tyler kind of gets everything set up so he can do his disappearing act, and it it is him. This this is where we have sort of him preaching to him about his post apocalyptic post consumer society. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's I mean it sounds kind of nice, but it also sounds like uh, well, hey, we're gonna be lords of Zenu. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, we're, uh, uh, the entirety of the world will be, you know, taken over by plants and stuff, and you won't be able to <laughs> get stuff or live life in any sort of normal way. We're going to go back to prehistory. Yeah. Is that good? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Dark Ages typically, uh, you know, when you have anti-technology campaigns, uh, they're usually not the right people doing them it's usually yeah. people who are trying to uh uh put their boot on your neck yeah yeah plus all that like medical technology that we've come up yeah. with kind of need that yeah. i mean watching we've been watching boardwalk empire and seeing the shit they do in the hospitals <laughs> there yeah when they like just a hundred years ago with with the technology they had is like 
oh man, I'm, I want medical technology to keep moving forward. Thank you. Yeah, it can still stand to move forward. Yeah. So uh, Tyler disappears. He vanishes and Marla shows up finally at Paper Street to figure out like, what's going on with you, dude? And there's this him showing up drunk with a fucking bottle of gin saying, and the first thing he says when she shows up is, he's not here. Yeah. She goes, what? Either isn't here. What? what? Tyler's not here. He went away. He's gone. <laughs> and she's just like, what the fuck are you even on? It, it's really just she turns around and goes back. Yeah. And she's like, okay, man, fine. I don't know what to do with you <laughs> anymore. Yeah, well, in the background, all these guys are like digging trenches. And this is when the, the guys come back with Bob dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they were doing a homework assignment. <laughs> Where they had to destroy a piece of corporate art as well as a franchise coffee bar. So they're uh, detonating a ball on a fountain to roll down and destroy a Starbucks. Yeah, uh, which of course they do. And the cops come and Bob gets shot in the head. Yeah. And he's fucking dead. He's very dead. They they take the mask off and brains come out. Yeah, everybody's like, ooh. And it's like, all right, let's go bury him in the garden. And Norton's and like No, this is this is a man. He was a person who had a life. And he says this is his name was Robert Paulson. And the cult starts to take on its own life. It starts to improvise here. Yeah. Because the guy goes, I get it. when a member of project mayhem dies he has a name in death a member of project mayhem has a name his name is robert paulson and it becomes everyone's mantra yeah they they all just start chanting cult mythology yeah his name is robert paulson his name is robert paulson i knew people who would chant this in high school well (laughs) we never did that (laughs) i knew a couple of people who so he finally gets a call from the arson detective again. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like bugs out. He's like, "Uh oh, they're catching up on me. And he skips down because he's looking for Tyler. But mm. Tyler's somehow always ahead of him. How could that be? <laughs> <laughs> but this if- is my favorite part of the score, by the way. The the montage music of him doing going to all the airports oh. has just the fucking coolest part of the score. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and then like the horns come in ah fucking rules oh man <laughs> yeah and he's like have i been sleeping yeah oh and he he kind of has maybe not really yeah and he runs into that one guy at a bar who's obviously in fight club yeah, <laughs> he's got a face like he's in he's, fight club he's got like a neck brace like bolted <laughs> to his forehead thing because he keeps talking to these guys and they're always like i wish i could help you Sir, Sir, and they wink at him like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, the first rule of Project Mayhem. Yeah, and he also says somehow he just instinctively knew when a fight club was nearby. Well, because like, yeah, yeah. you were there, you established it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everywhere I went, it was like I'd already been there. <laughs> and yeah. it, it it calls back to the insomnia thing, the copy of a copy of a copy of that. It's always this deja vu. It feels like you're kind of just running through these same cycles over and over again because you kind of are because you're just droning through life because you can't get any sort of uh, 
regular emotional level because it's too exhausting. Right. I, I like when they pa- when he passes by this one kitchen and he just hears all the cooks going, his name is Robert Paulson. Yeah. His name is Robert Paulson. I think that's where he runs into the bartender with the neck brace because yeah. they're like the cook staff and he's out front polishing some glasses. Yeah. And he's like, is this a test, sir? He's like, no, this is not a test. Uh, and he's like, well, you were here last Thursday asking about security. Tight as a drum, sir. and he finally asks he's like who do you think i am he's like you're mr durden sir you started this whole thing and he's like oh like everything collapses in on himself (laughs) he has to call marla he phones marla to confirm what he has basically already realized what's my name tyler durden you're tyler durden fuck off well no he's she uh she's like just say my name can you just tell me like i'm like oh man i'm so sick of this you love me and you hate me and it goes through the whole description of all of their interactions at this point like is that a pretty accurate description of our relationship tyler (laughs) please return your trace to the full upright position and tyler magically appears right there in the room yep (laughs) and he's like come on you can figure this out and Tyler ultimately just blacks him out. Yeah. He realizes and then Tyler makes him black out. And he, he calls it a changeover, like the real changeover with the, the cigarette burns as described earlier. Yeah. And while he's blacked out, he makes a bunch of calls. <laughs> <laughs> Whole bunch of calls. And he, uh, you know, uh, Norton gets back to Paper Street and it's abandoned. They've they've uh, set off on whatever they're going to do. Yep, it is completely empty. They've cleared pretty much everything out. Although they left all the plans behind, so he gathers those up and he calls all the buildings. But I need to warn you, there's a terrible thing. Don't worry, it's going to be fine. Yes, sir. don't worry about us, sir. We're solid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so finally he's like, okay, the only sane person I know, and not myself, is Marla. <laughs> so <laughs> he, call, he gets a hold of Marla. And they, they go to this restaurant. All of the wait staff know him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She orders like this huge fucking meal. <laughs> yeah. I did, one of the things is clam chowder. And he's like, oh, by the way, clean food. It's like, of course, sir. Uh, I, I would recommend not getting the clam chowder. No clam chowder. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what, why can't I have the clam chowder? And it's like, what, what is going on with you? What is all this shit? And it's like, Okay, listen, hang on. <laughs> First, I want to genuinely apologize. I am sorry. I've been an asshole. Yeah. Uh, and he's it's like, I've realized I actually really like you and I I I am into you and I'm sorry that I've been so weird. I there's just been shit going on with me that is hard to explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, she she's and, doesn't want well, she's it. no, she's almost charmed at first. Because he's trying, and she's like, no, I really do like you. And then he switches to, like, okay, but your life is in danger. Right, that's what it is. you have to leave town. He's like, oh, you fucking asshole. Now you're doing the stupid, <laughs> this stupid shit again. You, not only you have to leave town, you can't be in any major populated area for a while. You just, you gotta get out of all towns. He's like... <laughs> You're fucking free. Oh my god. <laughs> Just get on this bus, but this. I can't look at where you're going. Yeah, he puts her on a bus and she says, Tyler, you're the worst thing that ever happened to me. 
and of course we see people getting up and to grab her as she walks down the bus yeah like <laughs> it, you have to be looking for it but when you are it's obvious well yeah it's there it's, it's, it's there. more noticeable in the theater yeah <laughs> on a big screen so he tries to get arrested because he's got all these plans so it's like okay we'll we'll resolve this by getting myself arrested this, i'll be the human sacrifice yeah he goes to you know the one guy who the one guy who doesn't like him the arson cop <laughs> and he confesses to all of it he has the paper street files uh he says uh, the idea is we're going to erase the debt record going to blow up all these buildings you know all of these people uh their their debt uh record is going to be lost yeah and arson cops like wow that's a lot of shit i need to go and file all of this and of course all of the other police are part of project mayhem the police are infiltrated by the hate group what a shock of course <laughs> just like you said sir if anyone even you tries to start stop project mayhem we got to take your balls yeah they're they're all very impressed with him like we're, we're impressed for your dedication uh, <laughs> but he manages to grab one of their guns and fights his way out of there yeah and for the rest of the movie he is pantsless yeah he's just on the run in like uh, a, a robe <laughs> <laughs> he's got like these he papers. runs to the credit buildings yeah just runs all the way there and of course marla shows up in a boss uh, with a bunch of the the project mayhem guys yeah they 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 captured her and they brought her to the building because of course so he gets into one of the buildings and diffuses the bomb that so that there's one that he can watch from <laughs> yeah I, I like how i like how tyler's taunting him while he's doing his like hey maybe i was just thinking really hard all day about it being that one but it's not that one what do you think right he's like oh, i told you not to put the green one and they <laughs> have they they fight each other again and we get that weird footage like the the garage security footage of him somehow dragging himself and throwing himself down the stairs you can see how he does it it's 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 kind of hard but you can yeah. see he's pushing himself with his feet well, i mean obviously they did it yeah so uh but yeah it, it looks kind of absurd <laughs> they, they have the big fight it's and we get back to the beginning of the movie, the opening scene with him, the gun in his mouth on the top floor. Yeah. And he's just like, OK, hold on. I can figure this out. You don't have the gun. I do. Right. And he has seen Marla show up. It's it's sort of what gives him the impetus to actually act. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. yeah he... they, they show up and he sees them bringing her in. Mm -hmm. So he shoots himself in the head. Yeah. This. <laughs> It took me a bit to figure this out. It's like, did he kill himself? But why is he alive? He just kind of shot himself in the side of the mouth, sort of. Yeah, it comes out like through his jaw. It's much more clear in the book what happened. The book's much more explicit about exactly how that works. Okay. Uh, and then I think in the last, there's like an extra chapter in the book after this part where I think he's just in an institution. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's not featured in the movie. I, I don't think no. it needed to be. No, I mean, as I said last week, I think the movie is an improvement over the book. Mm -hmm. I haven't read the book, but I mean, the movie's pretty damn good. The movie's great. So yeah, he shoots himself. Uh, Tyler's like, what's that smell? And <laughs> we, we see just like a huge fucking hole in the back of his head and he disappears. Yeah, as... Uh... As Marla and the guys come up. Right. And he dismisses all the dudes. It's like, you guys can go. I, I got this. And like, are you sure, man? You do not look good. You look 
like fucking hell, dude. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm <laughs> oh, really good. It's cut... like smoke pouring out of his mouth and just blood all over. Shoving like Kleenex into the uh, like a hole in his neck. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh man, like, are you sure? It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, and Marla's like, oh my God, what the hell happened to you? But they, it's sort of that beautiful moment. It's like, you met me at a very strange time in my life. And they hold hands as all the buildings around them detonate. One of my favorite ending shots of a movie. It's beautiful. And of course, the song, Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So pick. perfect. Yeah. Like there, there's only two pop songs in this movie. And they're both great. Because there's that one there. And uh, in the first one where the first fight club is established, it's Tom Waits going out west. Oh, right. Another fucking kick-ass song. Yeah, so that that's it. That's Fight Club. That's it at the end. Very short credits, by the way, like a minute of credits. This movie's like two hours and 20 minutes. The credits are fast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it uses all of the runtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting coming back to this movie in 2023 when everything that it kind of talked about sort of did boil over to the forefront of society. Yeah, this movie uh, is remarkably prescient. Uh, I, I think it's got a lot of interesting stuff to say about hate groups and cults and uh, the way, I mean, just with the internet, the way these people are able to find each other and the this sort of, you get these people getting into these toxic situations that they keep self-amplifying. Like, th- this, this also feels like it predicts um, uh, fucking... Like, like incel groups like social media echo chambers well i i think specifically incel groups or uh the pickup artist groups oh god yeah because it's it's so much about the masculine identity there it, it's very exclusively about that issue yeah yeah the whole it's like... about male rage mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like you were supposed to be able to be this and this and now you can't because feminism or whatever yeah so uh yeah i i mean i think it holds up incredibly well yeah (laughs) extremely well i just i just watch this and just kind of get upset at how i the after watching the movie i recruited myself into the movie's fake cult and uh yeah and i'm just kind of upset with that realization I mean, it's it's because cults work. Yeah. Cults do work. It's it's showing how and why cults work, and it's a very smart uh, dissection of that mentality. And it does it the right way. It doesn't put its finger on the scale. It's like there are reasons why people would join them. There are reasons why their philosophy is compelling, and there are things about it that seem like it is maybe working towards a solution, even though we kind of know at bottom it sort of isn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything they do is is just a reflection of that one line where it's like, at, at the end, nothing was solved, but nothing mattered. Yeah, exactly. And and that's all they want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's 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 fucking great. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I, I love it more now than I did then. I think, well, I, it's hard to love it more than I did then to be <laughs> I loved it so much. Yeah. Uh, like I'm not, I'm not watching it 
multiple times in a day these days. Well, <laughs> but yeah, it it it's great. It holds up incredibly well. I think it holds up better than seven. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Seven, I feel like there is a degree of edginess that is in its bones, whereas here it's very self-aware about it. <laughs> so do you have any last thoughts on Fight Club before we move on to part two? I am Jack's last thoughts about Fight Club. <laughs> okay. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Psycho Go Go slash Fiend with the Electronic Brain slash Blood of Ghastly Horror. There are other titles that it was known under. <laughs> One movie for the price of three. Uh, well, it's three three releases for the price of one they didn't yeah, okay really may it was like the first one i'd say was less than the price of one and then they did mm. some reshoots bringing it up to the price of one. Oh, i, I yeah <laughs> good point now, and knowing uh, the al adamson approach to filmmaking so this is an al adamson picture the next one we're covering in the uh severin al adamson box set which is just so great i love it so much <laughs> it's really cool um we of course discussed the documentary way way back in the day not last year but the year before yeah uh, and in, in year one and this is kind of like his first proper film that he made on his own it's just we don't know that film which is echo of terror <laughs> yeah that film the the original version of that film does not exist anymore yeah, so 1964, he makes Echo of Terror, which is, like, he has earlier films. There's one, I, I think the next one in the set is an earlier film, Halfway to Hell, which oh, okay. is, like, a Western he made because his dad was a Western guy. Right, there was a whole thing about that. Yeah. So this was, like, his first proper modern one. It's 1964. It's really stylish. Like, it's got... A great look to it it's got a lot of uh it, like it's beautifully shot it's a vilmo zigmund you know one of the great cinematographers psycho and gogo -Go is considerably better than i expected it to be it's great looking the music is so good i love the music uh like the heist music that and, it's gonna be in my head for weeks oh totally and the one i always think of is in the strangling scene that really low rumbling bass jazz it, it's just uh a really menacing sound uh really yeah. excellent score and of course he's also got the songs by tracy robbins who al was managing a singer so they added those in for psycho and go -Go. <laughs> it's kind of funny because the songs that they that they use the character is singing to her daughter but their songs like a go get yourself an ordinary man or who needs you it's who cares? Uh, interesting choices <laughs> well the who cares is really weird because the or who needs you because it's like it is a song that is about how i'm someone who needs you but the phrasing is so weird like why do you call it who needs you <laughs> yeah bad bad framing like I feel like they added that line at the end of the song to clarify. It's like, I actually do need you. That's what the song's about. Yeah, I do really like 
the her first song, like the the big rave up song where you just have oh yeah her doing the call outs. Like, yeah, all right, yeah. girls, are you ready? <laughs> Ain't nobody singing about L.A., which I think that is not true. <laughs> well, and yeah, but it's, still, yeah, it, it's got um just a real crazy vibe to it. the The energy of the way this movie opens is just unhinged and like i think you even mentioned it when you got to the freeze frame for psycho agogo the way it just it blurs you've got the rock song going and just like the title comes up and just fades yeah, yeah. The, the the dancing keeps going but the music fades into complete silence and it just blurs i'm like this is actually unsettling yeah it's got just a crazy energy to it that i i feel like the 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 demise of this picture as blood of ghastly horror in and it's like multiple iterations sort of created the owl that made all of the other movies this first one i mean you you see snatches of this in the other ones where there's certainly uh great looking stuff he he did work with excellent cinematographers but there's yeah, less... Cinderella 2000 yeah. had moments <laughs> but there there's less of a straightforward storyline like there's not as much of a through line with those this one it's it's got like it's a it's a tightly written movie it feels like a reservoir dog style debut uh and i do feel like this was an influence on quentin tarantino i don't know if he's talked about this specifically but just the way adamson appears in a cameo in the opening (laughs) heist that he gets killed in that's what tarantino does in reservoir dogs (laughs) oh yeah i haven't seen that movie in so long pretty good movie uh i i like i i don't know if he's really talked about adamson i don't like I, he hasn't covered him on his podcast i don't think hmm. it does have a bit of a tarantino vibe to it yeah uh, with the gangsters sometimes well it's almost got a proto slasher energy too with uh joe cory joe cory so he's arguably our main character in the some of the other versions he's definitely the main character yeah he's kind of shifted to main character status by this version i think echo of terror he isn't okay okay uh Uh, i don't know if you had a chance to listen to sam sherman's commentary track on blood of ghastly horror but uh, no i didn't he, he goes into a lot of the background and how the different versions came to be and that uh both fiend with electronic brain and blood of ghastly horror like parallel because, like, while he took some stuff from Feed with the Electronic Brain and reused for Blood of Ghastly Horror, they also had stuff that had been taken out of Echo of Terror that's in Blood of Ghastly Horror that's not in Fiend with the Electronic Brain or Psycho Akoko. Okay. Because uh, Blood of Ghastly Horror has <clears throat> this whole separate storyline that goes on besides the main one that we yeah. don't see even a hint of in the first two. All the zombie shit with Regina Carroll. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. And the the other mad scientist. Yeah. And well, yeah, John Carradine shows up and he, he appears in Fiend with the Electronic Brain, but obviously isn't in Psycho a Go-Go. Yeah, yeah. Just the, the, the weird patchwork nature of this thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's present right from this first version, Psycho a Go-Go, because the stuff that's added here is the music, of course, the or not the, the score, but uh the lady singing all the go-go dance yeah the go-go songs yeah uh all of her stuff and also uh added stuff for joe Corey. so the kill scenes oh like so the kill scenes were created for psycho and go-go yes those are additions for this version 
And then okay. they're softened and fiend with the electronic brain. Because hmm. like they, they zoom out on them a bit. They don't show as much of it. They uh, shorten them a bit. Because that was going to be the TV version. Oh. And it was actually very <laughs> successful on TV for years as Fiend with the Electronic Brain. And then Blood of oh, Gastric Horror was them doing their recut to try and make it a success in drive-ins. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that works so great. Well, maybe. It did. All of these were very really? successful. It's just, it's it's the oh thing that <laughs> they, they talk about in the Al Adamson documentary that you'd watch them and you're like, this movie doesn't fit together quite right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, Psycho and Go-Go does fit together. Mostly. By the time we've got to, yeah, mostly, mostly. There are a few questionable edits, but And there's nothing. just some missing stuff. Like, there are characters that yeah. seem to have disappeared from the story who uh, probably <laughs> were, like, as Sherman specifically says, that the guy who was the main character in the first one becomes a secondary character in all of these. Uh, and he he points him out. I can't remember if it's, um, I think it's Curtis or maybe it's Dave. Uh, so yeah, Dave, the dad, or Curtis, the the mute guy. Is he a mute guy? Oh no, not Curtis. I right, no, Curtis is the mute guy. Uh, maybe it's Vito because Dave is the dad. I don't know if he was the main character or if it was the boss. Because, you know, there's the boss and there's the lady who, like, the whole gang, right? Yeah, the whole gang. (laughs) And, and, like, Joe is the lowest-ranked person in the gang, but he's the main character. He becomes the main character, and that's the thing, is I don't know if it was maybe one of the other guys in the gang, because it is a heist movie. So often you'll have, like, the heist characters as the main guys, but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, it became Psycho a Go-Go, so we amped up the Psycho and we amped up up the Go-Go. (laughs) Uh, i do remember i do remember them talking about this story in the documentary (laughs) uh, because go-go music was popular at the time so it's like let's throw some go-go music in apparently in france it was rafifi to a go-go because rafifi is a popular french heist film like a really major influential one oh okay so they're just throwing it all in there and i guess they couldn't (laughs) sell it on psycho because it's not related to like anthony perkins psycho which was like five years earlier right right so (laughs) but it's a heist you just had to add the (laughs) go-go yeah yeah yeah, the movie has nothing like the actual main thread plot of the movie has nothing to do with go-go music right it is purely just a heist movie it's quite well designed it's beautifully shot that first heist looks really great Mm-hmm. Uh, the heist music is great. Uh, the climax scene in the mountains of Tahoe is beautiful. Gorgeous. So cool. Like, amazing use of locations. I think that's one of Al Adamson's strongest features is he really knew how to use his locations well. Like there's a few of these later on where he's using uh, SeaWorld, I think, like the original oh. SeaWorld. He's got a few things there. <clears throat> there's, of course, the one where he goes to the KFC and he gets Colonel Sanders to try and deliver a line <laughs> oh right that, I, 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 he wouldn't say that it was finger licking good yeah because people didn't like it when he did the ads originally <laughs> so he got really sensitive about it <laughs> right huh. yeah and and like the kills look great uh even some of the special effects in blood of ghastly horror when we start getting to special effects 
the face makeup when she turns into a zombie looks sufficiently gross. It's decent enough. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> blood of ghastly horror. I mean, the the effects in it are half decent and then some of them are just fucking terrible like the zombies for the most part are really bad the the main zombie uh arco is awful total dog shit i don't know if you watched the trailers on the disc because they have a trailer for fiend and they have a trailer for blood of ghastly horror blood of ghastly horror the trailer is all the zombie stuff it it has almost nothing from the other parts of the movie (laughs) but that's the worst yeah it looks terrible and i was like what the (laughs) fuck it just doesn't even look as well shot as any of the other stuff (laughs) and and it's not like blood of ghastly horror is the weakest of the three by By far far. so by far i like i do think each one is by an order of magnitude worse than the previous version Uh, i found that maybe feed with an electronic brain wasn't considerably worse i found it was mostly the same but the mad scientist stuff really took away from it actually well that, that's exactly the thing is that all of the added stuff is bad like it, it's yeah. it's the problem is that there is nothing that is improved with addition there like everything that's added makes it worse and then by the third one so much is taken away that we're almost all new to stuff uh yeah whereas like i think some of the psycho agogo additions are good like we said we really like that opening song we like the energy that uh, it oh. brings into the start of the movie and the kill scenes are extended and they look kind of fucking incredible. Like that one neon one with the strangling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love the opening heist scene or, well, by the, by the time I got to the third time watching it, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. But it's a good heist. It's good. I, I really like that shot of uh, the three of them going up in the elevator. You got a good shot of Al himself as one of the robbers. Yep. Yep, he plays himself as the guy who gets killed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before I even knew who any of these guys I were, I was like, man, I love the faces of these obvious thugs. Yeah, good faces. Uh, Roy Morton is the main uh, Joe Corey, uh, who's who's really gets a lot out of these pictures. Like the reshoots, he must have been just dining out on this movie. He keeps coming back. He, his role just keeps getting expanded and expanded. Oh yeah, when he showed up in a new scene in uh, Fiend, uh, in Fiend, I was like, everything about the mad scientist stuff felt so like patched in from something yeah. else that I was generally genuinely shocked when jo- when Roy Morton came onto the mad scientist laboratory. I'm like, they got the original guy. Yeah, it's pretty cool that they actually got him back, and he's just hanging out with John. Car- I mean, I guess also is the thing like, hey, want to come do some scenes with John Carradine? Like, sure, that guy's a fucking sure. legend. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he, he's he's doing a similar performance, but it's already like tailored degree cartoonier by Fiend. Oh yeah, like you know yeah. they they put a fucking hard hat on him and strap him to a board, and it's very goofy. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't ask permission before you zapped me <laughs> right and then he and- kills Carradine and then I, I like it's bizarre in Blood of Ghastly Horror like that's a flashback sequence <laughs> oh well, everything from Psycho and Gogo that appears in Blood oh, of Ghastly yeah. Horror is a flashback right because it's Regina Carroll's story now yeah yeah um, Blood of Ghastly Horror is kind of a sequel to 
intervened with the electronic brain in the same way that Silent Night Deadly Night 2 was a sequel to the first one. Yeah, kind of. It, it, like a nesting doll of a sequel. Yeah, like it still tells the entire story of the first one, just heavily edited. And then it's got this other shit that was definitely not being considered when the first one was being made. Yeah, although it's a different genre of movie as well, which makes it even stranger. And like uh, the, the strangest thing to me about Blood of Ghastly Horror is how it has additional heist scenes that weren't in Fiend or Psycho. And they're not shot for this movie. Like they're clearly from Echo of Terror, especially at the beginning. There's some added stuff early on that you don't get in the other versions. Oh, yeah. Uh, we we see instead of opening with the go-go dancing for. Um, Which is totally missing. None of the go-go stuff exists in Blood of Ghastly Horror. Yeah, yeah. None of that is there. We open with uh, these two cops or no, we open with the zombie kills. Yeah, the zombie starts. Yeah, the zombie starts. I'm like watching the movie after seeing the first two that are almost identical. Yeah. I see a new character and I'm just like, hey, I don't know you. Yeah, it is a weird beginning and it's crappy. Like it looks, it's the, the worst looking part of the movie. It, yeah, it's not good. It's a weird choice I to mean, front load she, that. Yeah, she gets attacked by a guy who, I mean, he's I'm a, told he's a zombie. He's, he he's kind of green. Like maybe a frog. He's greenish. <laughs> He's a little green. He's got kind of a thing over his eye. He's not un- looks like part of a Ninja Turtle mask. Yeah, he's not unlike uh, a genre lens zombie in Zombie Lake. That, that's the sort of zombies you get there. They're just green. Okay. They got some green paint. <laughs> yeah, he attacks uh, a girl and a cop. And then we see two cops talking about it. Right. And the the cops are just completely invented in this version of the that's like Tommy Kirk and someone else. I can't remember the other dudes. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah. I I, I thought I was like trying to play someone like, were these two guys in the original no, films at all? Absolutely not. No, they weren't. No. Which is funny because one cop says he was involved in the original Joe Corey case and he's not there. Even in the flashbacks. They didn't like No, they excised him entirely. He vanishes from the movie entirely. They add yeah. two new cops to replace him. And they're mm. both fucking humps. They're worthless. It's just like the guys who get like pounced out of the detail at the beginning of the wire. The guy who falls down the stairs. They're about <laughs> yeah, as useful. Who signs the overtime checks? Yeah. <sighs> Though I guess they do end up solving the case, but one gets killed by a zombie or something. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but the heist scene, though, that's cool. Uh, it's this whole thing where, like, the boss is posing as a guy who wants to buy the diamonds. They're posing as maintenance guys, and they're stealing the diamonds as the guy showing the boss. Right. But it doesn't work out because it, it's, a, it's a very poorly planned heist. I mean, it's just um, a smash and grab. They, they, got, they have uh, people in costume, but they're you know, they they draw guns and they shoot at people. And then, uh, I mean, obviously yeah. part of it is that Joe Corey is clearly a psychopath and he's the one who kills uh, Adamson's character during the escape from the heist. Just because like, eh, why not? Yeah, yeah. Every single one of Joe Corey's kills is for 
no reason whatsoever and does not serve the purpose of the gang at all well they're they're opportunistic he is an opportunistic serial killer essentially this is sort of a slasher movie it's kind of a proto slasher in an interesting sort of way yeah yeah and the later the later movies try to give well they do give an excuse for why he's like this but i like the idea that he's just a thug who also wants to be a serial killer on the side i like that better yeah and i mean i think that's rather realistic <laughs> he's he's kind of like uh that Kuklinski guy in this oh is he told yeah oh my god he's a lot like that guy <laughs> yeah and yeah he he just he he does all of these killings secretly because obviously nobody else can know about them because they didn't know about it in the movie because it didn't exist in the original version of the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they're just like why were you late he's just like <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know because he kills a couple people in in just very elaborate and very beautifully shot sequences mm-hmm. yeah so one of the things adamson does before he dies is he tosses the bag into the back of uh dave clark's truck just a pickup truck just some just next yeah just, pickup truck. uh they're like on just a, to get rid of it. Yeah, they're like on a balcony in this building, so they can't immediately get to it. They have to go down the the elevator first. Yeah, yeah. So they're tossing the bag to like get rid of it, but he drives away with it. So they gotta. So now he has the jewels, and they gotta find it. They're they're pissed off about that. Well, they they have a, a getaway driver who's down there and who uh, got the license plate, but you know didn't get the. Uh, jewels because the guy drove off too quickly yeah yeah she disappears uh, by the third version of the film she yeah she is not even i think she like shows up but i don't think she has lines her romantic subplot is completely gone in the in the third film and i think it's cut back in the second yeah she she sort of disappears from it i think she was a major character in the original version Okay. Yeah, they set her up to be one in this, too. Like, I think her and the other guy, like the boss, I think the two of them may have been the original main characters. Oh, okay. Okay. That would make sense with the way some of the scenes are shot and some of the the way some of the lines go. Yeah, but they're they're largely relegated to the background for all of the other versions. Yeah, yeah. It's basically Joe is the only one that really matters. Uh, so the so the little girl finds the jewels in the back of the truck. Dave's daughter Nancy, and immediately knows what they are. She's like, "Oh shit, these awesome jewels!" Like you can tell from the look on her face that she knows about them and she's going to keep them. Well, it, it's weird. She she kind of thinks they're a gift because it's her birthday, and yeah, she sort of thinks it's like a gift from God in a way. But she tries to tell people about them a lot of times, but no one listens to this kid. It's true. There is one point where Joe is like, I want the diamonds. I want this. It's like, please don't hurt mommy. I'll tell you about my treasure. Fuck treasure. I want diamonds. Right. Well, and he, I, I think she tries to tell her dad here too, but then he won't listen to her and he, he's doing his fucking fifties uh, house husband or uh, husband come home. Like, well, it's the best part of your day. I'm home. I'm like, yeah, you dude. He, he literally says that line. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think she tries to say something there as well, but then he gives her the doll and she j- ends up storing the diamonds inside the doll where they'll remain until the end of the movie. So this doll, <laughs> the Christy, doll, doll's a problem. <laughs> fucking, oh, 
So it's a black doll. Yeah, um, well, a Christy minstrel doll. Because uh, the Christy minstrels were uh, a very popular 60s music group. Oh, okay. They were like okay. uh, a, a big folk ensemble. And they did oh. like you know, retro folk tunes and stuff. Okay. Because this doll sings things like Countdown Race. Yeah, that's... That song, so so I, I, I can't imagine... The dubbing is a big problem for the doll. That that is my biggest problem. Because like <laughs> I I feel like it's terrible. Oh, it's so bad. Can't Because <laughs> it, it it's supposed to sound tinny and cheap, but it just sounds like someone doing a really bad vocal thing. Because like it, it obviously it wasn't actually a doll that sang this. And right. they, they dubbed it over and it just it sounds so ridiculous. There's no version in which it's good. It's gone by Psycho Agoga or by uh, Blood of Ghastly Horror. It doesn't exist in yeah. that version. The, the doll exists, but it doesn't sing. Yeah. And it's not really part of the story in the third one. Whereas in these first two, we get like so- sequences where it sings and like everyone watches it sing. And the girl like holds it and is so enamored by it and so in love with it. The, the doll is a character in the first one. Yeah, the doll's a very important figure because the doll is where the jewels are. So the doll is kind of like a Maltese falcon sort of deal. Yeah. But like, I feel like, so the, the doll being black and it has just these bad minstrel songs and they call her Christy because Christy minstrel and they're doing the minstrel thing. Like they weren't black musicians or anything. It's just, oh. uh, th- that's the gag. They say, it's, oh, it's a Christy minstrel doll. And like, I don't, get what your joke is there exactly but <laughs> she's a black doll okay fine and then it, it has these bad folk songs that it sings that are like you know old spirituals in our like oh, I, don't, I don't know how i feel about that and it, it becomes a race thing later on but i yeah i feel like it's well-meaning but it's so strange because well, yeah she likes the doll and it does make her able to bond with this black man later even though she goes about it in a very dumb way because you know nobody talks to this chick (laughs) yeah yeah. doesn't understand manners she hasn't been parented no she hangs out at nightclubs well a young girl should be sitting down and shutting up yeah she goes to creepy nightclubs where there's an entire wall of antlers (laughs) that's a place where she goes for her ninth birthday Oh God! Right? Yeah, where her mother is a like a lounge singer mm-hmm. singing to her. Yeah, singing "Who Needs You," right? Because <laughs> strange stuff. And then just like just to clarify, I need you. Yeah, to, I mean that that's what the song. It's not you know. That's that's what the song is really about. Just just want to make sure that's clear. Mm-hmm. And then she comes back yeah. to the table, and then. She gets to demonstrate how the doll sings, and the girl's just like radiant. She's hugging it, and it. Oh, <laughs> that's such a weird moment. And that—that's the scene where, like, it feels so nightmarish to me that whole sequence because there is in the background you can see an entire wall of that place is just antlers top to bottom. <laughs> that's I never noticed the background. That's it's very scary. sinister looking. It feels like something from Lynch. Man. <laughs> And it is like super darkly lit too, where they're sitting as well. It's smoky. It's very black and red. You know, it does have that yeah. sort of fifties steakhouse kind of feel, but like men's club kind of thing. 
<laughs> and right around here in uh, Feed with the Electronic Brain is where we get our first new scene where they got where a cop Dumb we haven't met before <laughs> is visiting a mad scientist who we also haven't met before. Yeah, and it comes out of nowhere, and it's like the the tone is such a weird shift because it feels like you're in a 50s wacky like it, it feels like you've gone back in time 15 years for one you know it, yeah. it feels like something from giant claw more than it feels like oh something my god yes <laughs> from psycho a go go and yeah it's <laughs> the it's i think it's tommy kirk here and he's just doing way too much and he's trying to flirt with the lady and the uh, the waiting room and it seems oh, to be a yeah. hospital but it's a mad scientist it, lab <laughs> well yeah the establishing shot is outside a hospital but no this is definitely some dude's like personal bat cave yeah and it's like it's silly the mad scientist it, it's got like the mad scientist like antenna with the electric the electricity arcing between the antennas you know, it's, uh, it's got all the classic like stuff the machine that goes yeah. ping uh, and and of course the board with the hard hat on it that he can like shock yeah, a the, Frankenstein into being or a Joe Morton or a sorry yeah. Joe Corey Roy Morton is the actor. Yeah, yeah. And the cops like, hey, well, uh, at Al Adamson's house, we found fingerprints of a guy who you signed the death certificate for. Oh well, I have no information at this time. Oh well, I guess that's the scene then, huh? Yeah, we'll we'll be back to uh, see you in this one scene that we or th this one set that we built for these reshoots. <laughs> yeah, so so of course that's not in Psycho and Go Go, uh, but is prominent in the third one as well. They yeah. kept this for that. Oh, they they kept everything that was added in Fiend with the Electronic Brain. <laughs> yes, uh, which is about. I think 10 minutes footage total. Something like that. Maybe a little bit more, but it's it's mostly just we're establishing a different background for the character. Uh, we're, we're, yeah. We've decided that Joe Corey is now not just this guy who is a psychopath. He is a guy who has a robot brain because he was brought back from the yeah. dead by a mad scientist after dying in like the Korean War or something. Uh, Vietnam. Is it Vietnam already? Because oh yeah, it was Vietnam. Oh, because yeah, right. Because Blood of Ghastly Horror didn't come out till seventy one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's clear, like <laughs> he's not act uh, like the idea is that the chip is supposed he's supposed to be completely normal, and then the chip suddenly makes him go crazy. That's not yeah. how Roy Morton's playing this character. No, it makes no sense. Although Roy Morton will show up and be as cartoony as everyone else in the reshoots. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the thing is, the uh, the mob tracks down tracks down the guy's uh the guy's address the guy who owns a pickup truck dave clark yeah. where the diamonds were joe has joe ends up killing the secretary dave's secretary at his office for no reason because he's joe morton or joe Corey, and that's what he does yeah i mean he 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 goes in to get information from her and then he kills her of course and i think this is yeah. again one of the added scenes in psycho a go go that wasn't there in echo of terror to kind of increase the menace of this character yeah he uh, well very menacing because oh, yeah. he kills her with scissors in the forehead yeah it's it's messed up he's he's very intense and th this guy just has a great face oh my god he is so good because he can look 
extremely goofy when he wants to, but when he gets that, like, I'm going to fucking kill you look. Yeah. He he definitely looks to me like someone who did serve in probably World War II and, and or the Korean War. He he feels like yeah. someone who uh, has killed a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got like that when he's not doing a goofy face and he's just doing like the stone cold murder face. Yeah, yeah he, chilling. he's very, very good. Uh, and it's an unusually good performance in the middle of especially the later versions of this movie but where where is Psycho Go Go and no one else is really at his level no they're they're not he's he's obviously the the standout actor and I think maybe that's also why you know it's it's also the most exploitable character you make him into the psycho killer that's something you can you can make posters around Mm -hmm. but you know it, it helps that he's also the most compelling actor Oh yeah, he's he's easily the best person here. Although I like I like Curtis. It's just you know well, he Curtis is he doesn't have I a like lot Curtis. to do. No, he kinda he kinda helps uh, the girls a bit and then dies. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they they break into Dave Clark's house and it's like, hey buddy, where's all the jewels and all that shit that was in the back of your truck? And it's like what are you talking about? What... But they're yeah, they're sure the he knows. Like you you've you've definitely yeah. stolen these jewels. Like, man, if I told you if I if I knew I'd tell you. Yeah, and he's like, I actually don't know anything, guys. And for real. And the, the girl and the mom have meanwhile headed up to Tahoe because they're uh she's singing elsewhere. She's like on a tour, right? Yeah, and and the girl, the little girl Nancy, wants to like see more of America. Right. So the the two of them are taking like the bus up there, uh, and so they decide to chase after them, based on what he says, because they figure, well, she must have taken the jewels, and they're sort of yeah, right. Yeah. They just don't realize that, that nobody knows that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the plan. Um... Well, oh, Joe has to like kill somebody else to get the information that they're going to Tahoe because, of course, Dave doesn't tell him. It's just like, no, they're not here. So he kills the he kills the person at the bar next. This is the neon one. That one is just incredible looking, and the score is so cool. In that you get like these flashing blue neon lights outside the window, and he's doing the strangling. Incredible. Yeah, he's got his he's got his like murder face on. Um, He's a scary guy, actually. He's terrifying. So that scene is cut out of the TV version, which is Man with the Synthetic Brain. Oh, so there's another one. <laughs> there's so many. There's so many names. <laughs> like, if you look in the booklet uh, the that comes with this set, each of Al Adamson's movies, they have like a list of aliases that they all played under. There's a bunch for almost all of them. Oh, wow. Then af- after he kills her, uh, there's this bit where Vito the mob boss is like, where is he? He was only supposed to be gone 30 minutes, implying that, you know, these are all extracurricular murders that he's doing. Yes, well, they they absolutely are. Because there's also yeah. a point where this is like, well, did you get the information? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in uh, Fiend with the Electronic Brain, he takes another detour. To murder the mad scientist. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he it's so funny because like it's 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 again Carradine. He's very old at this point. He's he's a yeah. little doddering and he's doing one of his little sciencey monologues. He's got all his beakers and shit and his goofy science gear. And just 
it's it's like they're it really feel it, it never feels more like a set than in these sequences. It just feels like he just walks in front of the camera <laughs> like, oh, hey, Joe Morton, <laughs> Joe Corey. Yeah, yeah. It feels like uh, he just walked onto a Conan set. Yeah, I, I mean, like Conan O'Brien right, or something. Exactly. Conan O'Brien or it's like, oh, here he is on tool time. It's Joe Corey. <laughs> It's just, it, yeah, there's such a strange energy to the way this, uh, way he appears in here. And it, it feels fourth wall breaking. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing in this part of the movie? You're supposed to be in the the original movie. Yeah, I know. It's so jarring. I'm like, this is the scene where I was talking about where it's like, oh, shit, they got Roy Morton to come back. Yeah. <laughs> he's not supposed to be here yeah you you feel like they're going to turn to the camera and it's like well when we were filming these scenes it's like you're doing a retrospective (laughs) but yeah he puts him in the the machine that he was created in yeah yeah so zaps his brain yeah um because yeah for revenge because for revenge, because he made him do these killings, but now he's decided he likes doing these killings, but he's so he's going to kill him too. Yeah, he's going to kill him too, and then he's just going to continue keep killing, doing it. Yeah, he's he's got these uh, this lady and her uh, daughter to chase, and then you know he kind of tones back down to his regular level that he's in most of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he he uh, he definitely hams it up in killing oh, the doctor completely. It is a totally different tone from anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's cartoon uh, Roy Morton here. It's it's so weird. And then, uh, so in the actual one, he shows up, and I guess in all versions, he shows up at the gas station or at the bus stop, and it's like, oh, we, we've got a car for you. We're going to take you to the next bus. Yeah. Pretending to yeah, be with it's... the dad. Yeah, yeah. Your your husband called me. I'm with the hotel. Yeah. Uh Come this way, please. So it's him and Curtis. And him and Curtis, the the mute guy. And um, and Nan- Nancy's like, hey, that man's the same color as my doll. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Curtis is black, and they have like this whole conversation about how Curtis got his brains uh, knocked out in the ring. Right. Basically, he's, he's a former prize he can't fighter. Talk. And I just think that's funny that. He could have been the one with the electric, with the sure. electronic brain, <laughs> but they were they weren't going to expand his role because he doesn't speak. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> but yeah, True. I, I I kind of feel for this guy having to just sit there silently and have people talking about him all the time because they're when they're driving, you know, it's Nancy talking. About, wow, black people! I've never seen one of those before, which is <laughs> oh my lord! And then yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, joe talking about it's like oh he can't speak and he oh he doesn't understand anything and just really talking shit about him all the time (laughs) yeah yeah but uh linda and nancy end up kind of befriending curtis right although there is that one shot where they're in that fucking terrible little cabin they've been stuck in there they're waiting for something they know something's up at this point and yeah it's the mom nancy is just playing the doll the doll is doing one of the goddamn songs and we pan over and see curtis just sitting there <laughs> seeing <laughs> listening to the, fucking, this doll again and 
And it, it's Joe who gets angry, though. It's like, I can't yeah. stand this fucking doll. I've had enough of this shit. And Curtis protects them. Yeah. It seems yeah, for a second like he would be done with this, though, which when you pan over to see him listening to the doll. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, he kind of holds Joe back from beating the shit out of him. Yeah. Which, of course, makes Joe angry and want to beat the shit out of him even more. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that is the, the template of this sort of person. Yeah. Yeah, so he waits until they're asleep, and he goes to... Well, he goes to rape Linda is what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and then Curtis, manages... jumps, Curtis uh, wakes yeah. up and comes to help. Yeah, uh, and they get... Uh, Linda and Nancy manage to get away with the doll and steal one of the cars... And they escape into the mountains. And it's chasing for the whole rest of the movie. Ten, all versions of the yeah. movie have minimum ten minutes of them just running through the mountains. And it's beautiful. Like, it, it's a gorgeous it, shots of the snow-filled Tahoe Mountains. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And we got Joe, like, uh, Joe, of course, kills Curtis in the fight because, of course, he does. Yeah. Uh, so we've got him like just with his like button-down t-shirt and a tie and pants and slacks running through the mountains like some kind of wild man. Yeah, it's awesome. He's dressed like fucking Dilbert and he's just chasing them down. <laughs> he's he is built like a tank though. I mean, he's got and he's got like that. Uh, he, he's got the Johnny Unitas hair, you know, like yeah, uh, from completely flat top. Yeah, uh, like a Abe Simpson, a haircut you can set your watch by. yep (laughs) perfect flat top and yeah just him chasing them like they they have to abandon the car because they come to a snowbank and they just ditch it and they run into the forest and it's just him chasing them through the woods and getting he he seems to be growing feral yeah yeah which um which is interesting because it leads it led, leads a bit of believability to the ridiculous backstory of the of the uh, consecutive movies. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where they derived it from. It's like, well, this is the only guy who it can fit in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, the cops show up because we we didn't talk about it, but the 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 rest of the gang that's at Dave's house, the gang just implodes on itself. Yeah. It's not working out because they're they're all like, well, maybe they don't know what's going on. Yeah, Uh, like the the one guy and the girl are do this whole like love affair thing. Right. They're so stupid about it because they keep making out when it's when the boss is like, well, I'm just going to go to the bathroom for 30 seconds. Yeah. Oh, you're making out with my girl. So I think I I, right. I guess it's got to be those two that were the original main characters. That's kind of what it feels like, because they've got like this whole, we need to get out of this town. Oh, we can't get out. Vito will find us. Although it's weird. we got to get out of this life. Yeah, completely. And it, it is strange, though, that those as the main characters are completely uninvolved in the ending of any version of this movie. And I can't even envision <laughs> them being involved in the ending. No, they they stop being in the movie it it could be that like originally they have a coda where they live happily ever after but none is none any of these versions no they just kind of the cops show up i assume they go to jail dead (laughs) i guess so (laughs) it doesn't get expanded upon they're tough they're 
<laughs> their whole romance subplot is completely removed from the third one. Right. Oh yeah, like have we mentioned any of the Regina Carroll stuff in Blood of Ghastly uh, Horror? I guess we should do. No. It's no, I guess we it's should. It's hard to I mean we're pretty much at the end of Psycho Go Go. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he they they finally chase him, uh, the cops show up or I, I and Dave shows up as well. Yeah, and they they shoot him eventually. Yeah, it takes quite a while. They're chasing him, and then it takes a long time. The doll falls off a cliff, and uh, he falls with like he gets shot and falls down the same way. And he oh, he yeah, realizes he gets dummy dropped. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And he realizes yeah. as he's dying that the jewels were in the doll. Yeah, and then we freeze frame on the doll and the end. Right. And that's pretty much every version. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Fiend with the Electronic Brain has the two or three scenes with the uh, with the mad scientist. Yeah, not a huge difference. No, uh, but Blood of Ghastly Horror. Totally so different. <laughs> Table everything flip. That we've, yeah, everything <laughs> that we've talked about so far is treated as a flashback, if it shows up at all. Yeah. Uh, We've got Regina Carroll as the daughter of the of, that of the mad scientist Carradine. of Carradine, yeah. yeah. Uh, who? Oh, also the the zombie or the person who killed all the cops in the beginning of that one, who is the zombie, right? They receive a box with the severed head of one of the cops that says <laughs> yeah. something like a message that says something to the effect of. Oh, what does it say? I don't remember. I but it, it, it it's all will die for Corey. All will die for Corey because it's a voodoo thing in this version. They're yep, voodoo it's voodoo zombies. now. Uh, <laughs> which okay, <laughs> even though yep. we also have a mad scientist who has a guy with an electronic brain. I don't know if the electronics. No, the electronic brain stuff still comes up. Yes, yeah, the electronic there. brain stuff is all still because he still goes it's and electrocutes fact- Doctor Venard. <laughs> he does yep he has the electric brain he gets killed in tahoe and and it turns out his dad uh dad. elton cory is a voodoo mad scientist oh, right that's right there's the other mad scientist that they added for the zombie plot yeah so it turns out off screen, we find out from the cops that everybody else who was involved in the original Joe Corey case was killed. Right. And like the partner just goes, What? And <laughs> I'm also yeah. going, What? Because this, this doesn't happen on screen. Right. This is uh, Tommy Kirk again, uh, the, the goofy cop, as I think. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Susan. Susan Venard, uh, Professor Venard's daughter, the one Regina who, the Carroll. Professor who did, yeah, Regina Carroll. Uh, she got a telepathic message in a dream yeah. to go to the place where her father died. So she contacts the cops there and tells them this, and is like, "Hey, um, I'm getting telepathic dream messages." And sure, because I mean, there are zombies that have been killing police, and they've been. Uh, receiving severed heads so i mean we know we're in a cartoon world so sure dream message yep. why not <laughs> and then we meet elton Corey, and uh we, we see so the zombie arco lives Acro. in a jail cell acro uh he lives in a jail cell 
in a coffin in the jail cell yeah he's i mean i don't know he he's like because but he can easily break these bars if he wants to he doesn't yeah i mean he's created this zombie to get revenge for the death of joe Corey. yeah yeah what i because uh, joe Corey is his yeah because he's he's the dad uh <laughs> It's so strange. So, but was... he also wants to turn Regina Carroll into the ultimate zombie, I guess. Yeah, and I think there was a thing. It's sort of like a Bride of Frankenstein thing. Like they want to, they want to mate the zombies or something. Susan turns into a mummy later. Yep, <laughs> yep. She turns into a mummy. Um, <laughs> the, the Acro the zombie breaks out when he finds out that uh, his lifespan is limited and. Uh, Dr. Corey is just going to discard him when it's over with and replace him with Susan. Right. So, so yeah, he kills, he eventually ends up killing Dr. Corey. Of course. Uh, the cops show up. Uh, this, this all happens like after, like in the five minutes after the huge Tahoe chase. Yeah, it's a very weird coda where it's like, okay, and then we have to wrap up this zombie storyline. <laughs> because uh he so he he strangles the doctor and then he dies because uh the cory is the only one who keeps him cory keeps him alive through this elixir that he gives him which is very mummy rather yeah. than zombie this is like yeah tana leaves for uh the original mummy movies yeah yeah so he dies uh susan manages to drink the antidote and she's fine yeah but man her mummy makeup is pretty good it's decent Yes, it's not too bad. It's definitely better than Acros. I mean, it's Regina Carroll, and she was the wife of the director, and, you know, she gets more attention. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so the silly cop comes, finds the case solved itself. Well, thankfully, because he was never going to do it. (laughs) No. Oh, I mean, the original Psycho and Go-Go, we see him, like, he's supposed to be... Maybe it's not him, but another cop. I don't cop. think it's him. There's a different cop in the original one. Oh, right. Who's like sitting at the pool when he's supposed to be solving the case. Right. Yeah, I think that's someone else. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like on this one, the credits roll as blood or I guess red dye, red water and red food coloring. Well, it's uh, drips onto a photograph of. Yeah. Oh, it's the antidote stuff. Yeah, it's the antidote. I mean, like. It's it is Boo Haunted House the movie you know it's yeah. just them it's like oh we got some mummies we got some zombies let's throw in a mad scientist and a Frankenstein and yeah you just do all of that stuff it becomes a garbage movie and it's crazy how bad it is from how good Psycho and Gogo is yeah like like I enjoyed Psycho and Gogo uh, I tolerated fiend with the electronic brain it's like okay well this is fine if i just pretend that all the mad scientist stuff doesn't exist but if i'm gonna do that i might as well just watch psycho and go-go yeah. but then yeah the the fucking blood of ghastly horror it's like this is such an incoherent mash what is happening <laughs> it is yeah it's the most perfect illustration of that hmm, this movie doesn't fit together quite right <laughs> <laughs> well but like the whole resolution with dave escaping from the house and the mob imploding on itself that all happens off scene so dave's just, yeah, they just don't there with the cops he just appears because you know he's been coming here i guess 
Yeah, yeah, like like he does get kidnapped and he just isn't kidnapped anymore. Yeah, I mean, we, we just assumed that he came there with the police because this is all a flashback yeah. and they weren't involved in that part of the flashback, I guess. No, yeah, that's true, yeah. I don't, I'm not actually <laughs> totally clear on whose flashback any of it is. Because it's supposed to be, like, I, I feel like it's being told by Regina Carroll, and she wasn't here in any of it. It depends. Right. Some of the flashback is told by the cop. Um, the chase part is told by Dr. Corey to Regina Carroll. Right. It's like, you know that Joe was a hunted man at the end? Hunted like a beast. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hunted like a beast. But, yeah, uh, No one was there for any of it. None of the people having the flashbacks <laughs> were present for the things they're flashing back to (laughs) i just i just like want to imagine the flashback of the chase and then he comes then he comes back to the doctors like and that's probably how it went yeah something like that i would have to imagine Uh, so i guess this is the al adamson experience how he could just yeah because by the third time i saw him walking through that hallway in the heist scene i'm just I'm having like that same laughing fit that I got whenever I was watching Plan 9, and it kept cutting back to that one piece of footage <laughs> of Elvira just walking through, like with her back to the camera, walking yeah. through the woods. Oh, and I'm just, vampire. I see it, I laugh. Yeah, yeah. You're right, vampire. Totally, story. totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, and. <laughs> and I'm just like, you bastard, you pulled it off. <laughs> you made three movies out of this. Yeah, he, he really stretched it. Yeah. Uh, Sam Sherman talks quite a bit about it in the commentary track, how he's like, look, I I honestly feel bad for ruining Al's movie because it was his idea to add all this stuff. Like he was the producer, he's the money guy. And, you know, Al had made this good movie and he, you know, when they were shopping around, they would give it to studios and they're like, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, There's nothing to exploit. We we don't know how to advertise this. So we don't want it. So that that's why they just destroyed the movie. It's like, well, we got to sell it. I mean, we've seen them. We made the movie and it's good. We like it and we've seen it. And, would, you know, now we got to make some money off it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like for real, Psycho Gogo is a good movie. It's not like an amazing movie, but it's, it's good. It's good. For Al Adamson, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, uh, not so much the other versions. Especially not Blood of Ghastly Horror, which is among his worst, because it's just, it's Blood of Ghastly Horror. It's just, we threw in all the words. It's just a stew. Yeah, like, there's no Blood of Ghastly Horror in the movie. It's not referring to anything that happens. I mean, there's blood and there's horror. Some of his guests, well, Sam Sherman's line on it that he has always coined is, he's like, well, you know, uh... It was, it was bloody, there was horror, and it was ghastly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> he's, he's very open about it. Like, I do recommend giving a listen to the commentary track, because he's really straight about all this stuff. He's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the one in Blood of Ghastly Horror? Yeah, that's the only uh, one there's a commentary track on the disc. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely have to do that, because this is... This is interesting. This is an interesting uh, trilogy that only the first one is worth watching. Yeah, like a lot of trilogies, though. Yeah. <laughs> like Jurassic Park. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's like seven of those now. I don't care. Oh, God, really? Don't they, oh, yeah. They, 
they've made more Chris Pat Pratt ones. I think there's six altogether. I think they've done three. Like I, I believe they've done two sequels to that first. Pratt oh my one. god, they've done two already. I think so. Holy shit! I remember watching that in the theater. Not, not like that it. long ago, I thought it was quite a while ago. Really, <laughs> that was some years. We didn't ago. like it. No, I still like. I did not see the other ones. Uh, Jurassic World. Uh, yeah, there's Jurassic World and Jurassic World Dominion and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Jurassic World was 2015. That was 2015. That <laughs> was eight years ago. Uh, yeah, Holy shit. Dominion was out last year. Oh wow! I hear it sucks. <laughs> eh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I mean, I only of all the ones I've seen, I the first one was the only one I liked. And yeah. Maybe the only one that needed to exist. I, it didn't need a sequel. I have a soft spot for the second one. I saw that in theater when it was new, and like I saw both Jurassic Park and Lost World in theater. And they were both really good theatrical experiences, so I have a soft spot for that one, but it's it's decline quality. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have any last thoughts on Psycho Agogo et al. before we head on to part three? <laughs> et al. For <laughs> Al <Yeah>. Adamson. <laughs> no, just love to groove to that heist music music rules like like psycho go go is good check it out mm. it's good it's really good and yeah the the music is catchy the visuals are very impressive like like i said early vilmos zygmunt uh zygmunt who shot jurassic park for instance uh really major filmmaker really major uh cinematographer oh wow shit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right well uh on to part three and we're back for part three, where we're talking about all the other physical media we've watched in the past week. Uh, and from that, choosing our second feature for next week and then going into the main stacks to pick our main feature. Ooh, there are some interesting ones in here again, as usual. Oh, yeah. So we've got 13 picks this week that's a watch slightly more than that there's another one that i rewatched that we've already covered we'll get to okay so first up is conquest of the planet of the apes oh uh really good like maybe as good or better than the first one. Oh wow i i remember really liking the first one yeah uh this one's really interesting so it's the first one we, we jump forward in time 20 years from the previous one. And, you know, all of their prophecies have been coming true. Uh, cats and dogs are extinct. Uh, oh, it's, no. You know, uh, and monkeys have become house pits and have also become slaves. Oh. So that's... now there there is a slave class of monkeys. Cool. That uh, are, are in everybody's house and they're controlled by the government and they have to wear specific colors suits and they're all identifiable and yeah it's a whole uh dystopian future thing it's heavy concrete brutalist architecture everywhere uh and we follow caesar who's the son of cornelius and zira who you know was switched at birth and has been living in a circus okay right and he can talk and he uh is you know, very intelligent and 
he becomes a revolutionary. He leads a revolution. Ooh, slave ape rebellion. Yeah, I mean, just piles of burning cops at the end. Uh, really oh. fucking goes nuts. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Now, now these apes that are rebelling, are they like the intelligent talking apes from the first one, or are they just... They're just apes. <laughs> they're just they're just apes? Uh, he's cool. the only one that can talk. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I... Man, that... That yeah. sounds fun. <laughs> it's it's a really good one. It's way better than the two in between. Although I have a soft spot for the second one with them uh, blowing up the world at the end. I really don't <laughs> enjoy the third one, though. Mm. All right. Uh, next up is College. Uh, one of Buster Keaton's biggest hit films. Uh, not one of his better films. Hmm. This one is like, it's him bouncing back from the general. The general cost a lot of money and wasn't a big success. So it's like, okay. we want we want a gag comedy. Just give us a comedy with <laughs> a whole bunch of gags. All right. So it's Buster goes to college. Uh, he, it, it, at the beginning, he's this uh, academic and he gives a speech about how sports are stupid and, you know, anyone who does sports is wasting their time and, you know, all, all of that shit. And then the girl he's sweet on dumps him because she likes athletic men. Oh no. Now, now I imagine he has to suddenly become athletic. Yeah. He goes back to college uh, and decides to only do athletics, but he's terrible at all of them. Cause he just doesn't <laughs> understand the purpose of sports and he's just right. constantly failing at them. Like, you know, it, it's it kind of just becomes a series of blackout gags where it's him trying every sport and doing a really bad job of it. Okay. And then uh, eventually her ex-boyfriend or like the this sportsman who she kind of was interested in but decided no breaks into her dorm and is trying to rape her. And she ha Buster has to use all of the knowledge that he gained from all of the sports and actually perform everything perfectly in a trajectory to rescue her. Cool. Like he he pole vaults up into her room and stuff. Oh, right on! And like <laughs> jumping over hurdles or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Hedges for hurdles, all of that yeah. sort of stuff. Okay. Uh, I mean, solid climax, but definitely one of his weaker movies. Hmm. All right. Uh, next is Steamboat Bill Junior, which is one of his great movies. Now, this is the one that the the Mickey Mouse short is based on. So apparently, it's not really that. It's just both of them are based on the same song. Oh, it's a okay. really popular song of the time, Steamboat Bill. <laughs> All right. I guess. So he's uh, in this one, he's a fancy boy who lives in the East. And okay. his dad, though, is, you know, a salty seaboat captain or steamboat captain. Rather. I see. <laughs> seaboat. <I see. laughs> uh, <laughs> and he comes to visit his father. And his father just, they, they don't see eye to eye because he's such a fancy lad. And, uh, you know, he, he starts romancing the, the dad's rival's daughter. Oh no. And, uh, but the, the dad's rival, you know, he's trying to run steamboat bill out of business and they bond when he gets run into jail and uh, he tries to bring in tools baked in a loaf of bread to him and there's a whole comic bit with that this is the one with the very famous sequence with the the house frame that falls on him because the the end is just this oh. huge apocalyptic storm that destroys the entire town 
Oh my god, I remember that that yeah, that's the one where there's like this little tiny window and he has to be just standing just at the exact spot. Yeah, exactly. Right? And they they oh. did it for real? Yeah. One of his most that, famous That gives stunts. me chills. Oh yeah, that's yeah. So dangerous. So the the storm sequence at the end of Steamboat Bill Jr. is just a cyclone hits the town. It's very impressive. Cool. Uh, next up, the man with the golden gun, uh, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> golden gun mode. Every shot is a one-hit kill. It's Christopher Lee. You got to give him the golden gun. Of course. I've, I saw this, but I only vaguely remember it. Isn't his golden gun like a transforming <laughs> yeah. cigarette lighter? It, it is, it is. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a bunch of pieces that he puts together. And yeah, there's a cigarette lighter in case and yeah, a bunch of stuff. Uh, it's a silly one. It's a really goofball movie. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> uh, I mean, you got Nick Knack, Hervé Villachez as uh, his uh, sm- his little person waiter (laughs) rival slash henchman like they have this weird dynamic because if he dies then knickknack inherits everything so he kind of wants him to die (laughs) (laughs) he he like sets it you know do you remember do you know the x-men character arcade oh i remember remember playing a video game called spider-man and x-men arcades revenge that was terrible that guy his okay. th- he was a disco era pinball era character and his thing is he would kidnap various characters and then just drop them into giant arcade machines of death <laughs> okay just the most absurdly elaborate villain <laughs> i i kind of feel like that's sort of how uh scaramanga sort of operates it's a much a much smaller scale like he just has his own little murder maze that people have to cut get to his private island to do you know but they it's it's a whole mirror maze and everything it's all set up with you know hidden traps and gadgets and stuff so so he kidnaps people to like just drops them in this thing and then hunts them in this like golden eye death match i think they show up to do that what? <laughs> i don't Why know would you ever do this because he also assassinates people like out in the field but at the beginning there's a guy who shows up there and he's going through the whole thing and then you know he kills him at the end and there's also <laughs> a a roger moore dummy that he shoots the fingers off of <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, it's I mean, it's very silly. It's this whole thing. They steal this solar generator because he has a, a solar laser cannon oh. that built into his island. Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, we're just throwing stuff at the wall. It's, it's Kung Fu. It's 1971. Bond is trying to catch up with the times. There's a lot of Kung Fu in this. Oh, really? <laughs> Not good Kung Fu, just like kind oh. of crappy Kung Fu. But, you know, it's British Kung Fu. <laughs> not to speak ill of the british but they're not known for their kung fu not particularly uh i mean yeah it's it's a total mess i like it but it is one of the sillier entries and it, it, it kind of points the way to where uh the roger moore ones would go but it's one without as much of a plot as the later roger moore ones would have <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, maybe there's a reason I don't remember that much of it. 
it's confusing and it doesn't fit together well. <laughs> it doesn't fit together well. Next up, we've got Leprechaun. <laughs> I've never seen any of the Leprechaun movies. So, like, as a franchise, their concept is stereotypes. Okay. What if stereotypes collided? <laughs> but okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a slasher movie. I think originally Leprechaun, they started out making a comedy and then it slowly became more of a slasher movie. So it got more violent, but there's still like none of the kills happen to any of the main cast. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a psycho, a go-go situation. They add kills external to what's going on in the movie. Right. <laughs> so the Leprechaun, he's Warwick Davis and he's an absurd Irish caricature, obviously. Of course, of course. And you, and you got like the opening sequence where there's this drunk Irish guy who shows up at his house in a limo because he found a pot of gold. <laughs> and then, you know, the leprechaun shows up and he wants his gold back and he causes an accident. So the guy's wife dies and the guy seems to die, but I guess he just has a stroke because he surprisingly shows up at the end of the movie. Okay. <laughs> and it just like jumps to 10 years later and the leprechaun has been trapped in a box by a four leaf clover. In the, in the basement oh, no. of this place. And Jennifer Aniston and her dad show up. Jennifer Aniston. So she'd be... Oh, this, she'd be young Jennifer Aniston. It is the year before Friends. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, she, she's doing a Valley Girl type. She, you know, she's, uh, oh, she's dumb bimbo. That's her stereotype. And hmm. her dad, I don't know. He's just boring dad guy. Uh, he's not in a lot of the movie because the leprechaun bites him and he goes to the hospital and he's just out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but there's these three painters that they've hired to paint this cabin, which is, you know, the house that the leprechaun's trapped in. Right. One of them's a fake Kevin Bacon, Kevin Turkey Bacon, Turkey Bacon, as I like to say. <laughs> he looks like Kevin Bacon and she she was going to leave. She's like, All right, this this is stupid. I'm going to go get a hotel room in the city because this place has spiders. Uh, but then she sees him and he's hot, so she stays. <laughs> Spiders aren't so bad after all. Yeah, and he's like one of these salt-of-the-earth stereotype idiots. Like, he he's sort of a moron, but he's hyper-masculine and he's just a hot guy. Okay. And then you've got the gross kid. Uh, uh, as We Hate Movies calls him, he's, he's like a, the the ultimate disgusting shit boy <laughs> and unfortunately there is uh the the, the last one is a man who's a bit slow oh no <laughs> uh, is this um problematic <laughs> not too bad but it is treading a line uh mm. so the 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 problems arise when the the disgusting shit boy and the slow man find the pot of gold when the leprechaun is still trapped and Ozzy he swallows one of the coins okay shenanigans he swallows one of the coins so the leprechaun is after them to get the coins back and they can't give it back cuz it's in his stomach so he wants to rip through him to get it so they have to Oh my god him. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because he can't just let the coin go. <laughs> yeah, no. no, he he certainly it's will the not. Leprechaun. No, it's not all about that. And so he never really. None of these people die. It is a zero body oh. count film for any of the main cast. Uh, he kills a cop 
along the way somewhere and he kills this pawn shop owner that they try to get the coins appraised at. I think that's all. <laughs> really? Really low body count for like a 90s horror. Yeah, wow. They they were killing people left, right, and center in those. Yeah, it's kind of... I mean, it's not a good movie, but I, there is... It's got just... I don't know. It, it has a silly energy to it. I do like him in his go-kart when the cop pulls him over. He's like, out a little bit late, aren't you? He's like, I'm 600 years old. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, I mean, pretty corny. They do get better, and then they get worse, and then they get a lot worse. Mm. <laughs> leprechaun in the hood, and then Leprechaun back to the hood. <laughs> Can you guess how they spelled the... D-A? T-H-A. Oh, T-H-A would have been my second guess. It might actually be to the hood, but I think it's the. Anyway, next up, uh, not on the list because we covered it in the very early days of the podcast, The Thing. Oh, The Thing. John Carpenter's The the thing. Thing. So good. It's a hot day. I was like, oh man, The Thing would really hit the spot. Yeah, that'll lower the body temperature. Yeah, it's so good. And apparently they've announced a sequel. Like, Carpenter is working on a sequel to it now. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not a movie that needs a sequel, that's for sure. No, and I mean, that's why he hasn't done one up to now. But people <laughs> yeah. wanted him to do one. It's like, all right, I guess I could get off the couch for enough money. I could put so, down the Xbox controller for a little bit. So... The only way that I'm going to be okay with the sequel is if the sequel does not resolve whether or not Kurt Russell's the thing. It has yeah. to not tell us that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, like I, I feel like anything that relates to the other one is going to be an issue. But I wonder if it just brings back both of them. Because, like, mm. why would he not bring back Kurt Russell? Because they are buds. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, yeah, Keith- maybe who knows mm. Keith David's available too and he rules I mean like y- you want to get those rule. guys back <laughs> oh yeah he was in um, he was they in live. Nope not too long ago oh yeah that's right yeah he was really good in that mm-hmm. not in a lot of it you know, he, he no was, for like the five the minutes he was there yeah and, and yeah they live awesome yeah hell yeah uh, next up we've got the cameraman uh, usually seen as Keaton's last great film. Oh, okay. Uh, in this one, it's so this is the first movie he made with MGM. He was independent up to that point, and then he signed with MGM for like a deal where he was supposed to still have creative control. Okay. He had concurrent creative control for this movie. Oh, I see. <laughs> didn't get it ever again. Uh, screwed by producers is such a common story. And this is the last time he directed. He co-directed this one as he co-directed most of his films. Uh, next one, he doesn't even get a chance to co-direct. And then he he no longer gets to be a lead. Oh. Yeah, he oh. He, he, he becomes a second banana. He, he works with Jimmy Durante and stuff from then on. Oh. Kind of rough, yeah, because for, you know, fucking genius. Dude who yeah. made a lot of great, great films. So anyway, The Cameraman idea is he is uh this guy who takes tin type photos which are you know this it's this big thing that uh, just the cheapest crappiest camera uh takes a little small 
thing on a sheet of tin or whatever. Okay, sure. I don't know. I don't fucking know. Uh, really crappy early camera technology, but he's sweet on this girl who's the secretary at the MGM newsreel office. Okay. So he decides to get a job there. He's going to become a newsreel cameraman. Ah, uh, as you do. And he buys this camera and he doesn't really know how to operate it. And he goes out and he takes a bunch of footage and he comes back and it's, it looks incredible, but it's a total avant-garde mess because he set everything weird and everything's blending <laughs> together. And they're like, yeah, we can't buy this. And he's, he's kind of, he he's on his last chance and he's nice. supposed to take this. He, he manages to get footage of, or he, he shows up at this uh, Chinatown uh parade that turns into a gigantic tong riot oh and he's right in the midst of it and it's absolutely incredible sequence one of his great sequences him just like riding down a collapsing building uh with the camera and just him getting all sorts of really crazy footage right on that's that sounds really cool and then of course he brings it back and then he oh yeah along the way he's picked up a monkey (laughs) <laughs> sure because there's a bit where he's walking down the street and there's an organ grinder and he trips and he falls on him and he thinks the monkeys they thinks he's killed the monkey oh and no a cop comes over and makes him pay the guy so he's bought this dead monkey and then the monkey comes back to life <laughs> becomes so his now, sidekick <laughs> so now he has this monkey <laughs> yeah during the tong riot it's operating a machine gun oh <laughs> monkey with a machine gun uh, <laughs> wild stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, he gets back and it turns out that he uh, there was no film in the camera. And <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's fired and uh, his his girl is lost, loses interest in him. And, you know, the, leading up to the big climax where uh, he tries one last time to film a boat race. And uh, uh she's there and there's just all sorts of chaos there like the the boats crash into each other and she's drowning he has to rescue her and you know all all of this crazy stuff a really good one uh much more story oriented than uh most of his stuff like a, a real straightforward plot that's pretty clean all the way through all right i'm interested we we haven't covered keaton before so that is true and next is Spite Marriage, which was the next movie he made at MGM. And uh, yeah, it's uh... <laughs> so, so you said the cameraman was his last great one. Yeah, uh, Spite Marriage, I'd say, is his worst. Oh, uh, just uh, full stop. It is his worst. It's got it's it's like right at the verge of sync sound and it doesn't have sync sound, but it does have a soundtrack and it has sound effects and sometimes it has a laugh track. Oh. <laughs> and like a tinny, crappy 1929 laugh track. So it doesn't work at all well. In the, in this one, he is this obsessed Stan. There's this Broadway actress he's in love with. And he goes to every single show dressed to, as he appears on the poster. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and then and like this actress she obviously she's totally unaware of him she's in love with her co-star but the co-star is really fickle and he's like trying to play her off and he's pretending to be into this younger actress who's also on the set so she gets drunk and she decides to marry buster out of spite oh oh yay 
he immediately accepts. He's like, yes, ma'am, I will. Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And uh, obviously it's not great. She just gets drunk all the time. There's this really excellent comic. Like one of the best parts of the movie, uh, she is just passed out drunk and he's trying to put her to bed. And she is twice his size because he's a little guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and that scene is pretty amazing. And then, you know, it, it kind of turns into The Navigator, one of his earlier movies. Uh, he there, There's this weird thing with a heist and he ends up in the ocean and then there's some smugglers and he ends up on a ship and he's working on a ship. And then somehow she's also on the ship. And then, I don't know, it gets attacked by uh, a bunch of thugs and... <laughs> <laughs> it, sure it's it's it just becomes chaos it's like those arbuckle shorts but feature length <laughs> oh wow that's a that's just a long time of people just running around and yeah those those were so chaotic oh my god i can't imagine that yeah i mean it's not quite to that extent but it does sort of have that kind of disjointed energy where it's like eh, i mean this is a thing i know how to do this is a thing that i can do that's funny <laughs> Next up, we got Man on the Roof. A really fucking great Swedish movie. Oh. So uh, there's this this cop who is fucking dying in a hospital bed. And someone comes in and fucking bayonets him to death. Like brutally, just kills the shit out of him. Comes in the window. Damn. So police come in to investigate. And they're like, well... This guy was a cop. And we look into him. And they look into him and he's like, well, he was also just a, the worst cop. He's a real fucking shitty, shitty cop. He's like one of these real fucking asshole cops. And oh. everybody knew about it. Oh, one of those cops. So it's like, well, there are a lot of options for who might have wanted this guy dead. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're like investigating all night because it happens really late at night and they're called in. And these guys, are just, they're fucking so sleep deprived and they're off following different threads and you know the people are doing the uh investigation at the hospital and then our guy who did the killing shows up fresh and ready after you know having finished his killing gone home got some rest comes home with a sniper rifle and he starts picking off more cops to uh, get more revenge oh and it just turns into this huge thing where they're like under siege and they're trying to figure out where this guy is and who he is and why he's doing this, how to get to him, because he has the high ground. Yes, the high ground. Oh, shit. So that sounds really interesting. Uh, Really good. Very, very good. Uh, next up is one we watched, Royal Warriors, uh, a.k.a. In the Line of Duty. This was a lot of fun. This was wild. Really kick-ass. Much more violent than I was expecting after the kind of corny opening style like it, it feels like you're going to be in a cartoony one and then it gets hard violent fast yeah like i think the climax is like dude's got the the dead cop's coffin with his body in a crane suspended <laughs> over like like a pit of some kind yeah and he's you know he's using the body as bait and they're fighting yeah. to get it get the body back so it's not destroyed or whatever yeah really fucking crazy movie yeah it's like this blood feud the gang they're always like we four brothers but they it's never clear what their actual plan was because they just 
just yeah i don't think they had these guys lives i feel like they didn't have a plan it was just protect each other for whatever reason like they they were all in a war together and they signed they decided on a blood pact and then one of them ends up in jail which war yeah i don't know one of them ends up in jail and they're like uh yeah they try to break about in a prison transfer thing on a plane so that's how we have a sky marshal involved as well as an interpol agent as well as a hong kong cop who's michelle yo who's so fucking good in this by the way oh she rules and yeah they i guess it's just all snowballs from them trying to get this guy out of prison because they kill him so now they got to get revenge for him Mm -hmm. i guess that's just the whole thing it's just blood debts (laughs) yep (laughs) Uh, uh yeah crazy violent super good though yeah i'm mm-hmm. hyped to dig into the rest of the in the line of duty series yeah yeah i'll definitely watch more of those uh next up is another one you've seen but didn't watch this time scanners Ooh, great fucking head movie exploding yeah head explode uh cronenberg just doing I, I i was thinking a lot about the political ideas behind this one on this watch uh, and it definitely feels like a lot of it is treatment of the mentally ill, as I talked about a little while back when we, I think when we were watching Shivers or some other one and you're saying like, what was the political point of Scanners? I'm like, I think I could something to do with that. Yeah, I, th- I think I remember that. <laughs> I think it's also very explicitly about anxiety disorder and just uh, living with mental illness like that. Because the the scene where they pick up Cameron and they have him tied to a bed and they just have a bunch of people walk into a room and he has to be the center of attention. And just a whole bunch of people uh, talking and being around him. And it's him just fucking comically pulling at the straps. And, <laughs> <laughs> being around people. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, the greatest head explosion in film history. Oh, <laughs> by far (laughs) and just a weird conspiracy i i love that he can hack into computers by uh scanning them and he can use the nervous system and make the computer overheat and explode (laughs) it doesn't make sense but i love it uh like oh what happened to your other guy and like he died when you blew up his computer Uh, yeah, I love that movie. It's it's one that gets better on every watch. I feel. All right. Well, I, I feeling due for a rewatch. It's I can't remember when I watched it last, but it's been a while. Well, it was only the one time. Yeah, it's, it's like been a while. It, it was over the course of the podcast, but it's not one we covered. But it was before we had covered any Cronenberg. So sometime yeah. in year one. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a while. couple years ago. Yeah, year yeah. and a half. Next step, we've got Untamed Mistress. This is the first in a set called From Hollywood to Heaven, the Lost and Saved Films of the Ormond Family. Oh. A very interesting filmmaking family. <laughs> they, they were exploitation filmmakers in the 50s and 60s, kind of like Adamson. Very like Adamson, I'd say. <laughs> All right. And then... The this guy Ron Ormond, the main guy, uh, he was in a plane crash and he survived, and he became a born again Christian, and he started doing all of these crazy Christian exploitation films. Oh, so very okay. famously, one called "If Footmen Tire You, uh, What Will Horses Do," which is about a godless commie takeover of the United States. That's basically like crazy 
super apocalyptic Christian propaganda where they're like gunning down Christian kids in the streets. Oh, okay. so I, I I'm hyped to get to those ones. This early one is very interesting to start with. Uh, Untamed Mistress. It is <laughs> untamed, unashamed, savage animal worship. Oh my god! Um... So this is like a fifty, like a movie from 1956, and there is tits, like a lot of bared breasts in this movie. Oh, you've leaked clips of this one, didn't you? I sent you a few clips of this because it's bizarre. Yeah. The the basic concept, and it takes a really long time to get get back to it, because most of the movie is we've got these several white explorer guys who are in darkest Africa or whatever. Uh, (laughs) I'm pretty sure they even say that. It's mostly them kind of looking at crappy stock footage like you cut away to some stock footage and then they make some very ill-informed commentary on it (laughs) we are definitely witnessing this in real time we're clearly in the same space time as this which you know (laughs) looks and they they're clearly on just like one set that is framed in only one spot most of the time (laughs) where you have this background set and they are all in a line saying their lines like fucking napoleon dynamite <laughs> and it's so badly framed like it's very inept filmmaking like sub ed wood oh no oh no and uh, so the thing is there's this tribe of gorillas and there's this uh jungle tribe who sacrifice women to the gorillas but none of the women have like none of their bodies have ever been found and they don't know uh what's going on with any of that so it turns out at the very end after them just looking at stock footage for about 60 minutes (laughs) that the women have all joined the gorillas i teamed up with the gorillas and they're all just busty and naked uh and i guess they could get away with it and i'm sorry to say that it's probably because they were black and they could fit it in with the ethnography where they have a lot of <laughs> Aboriginal people whose breasts were showing earlier. I see. I think that's how they snuck it by because you couldn't do this for like another decade. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's what I had thought. <laughs> Except in like the nudist films and stuff. So I guess that's how they sneak it under. Uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> at the very end, and it is a pretty satisfying climax, even though it's a very garbage movie on the way getting there is a bunch of people in just the silliest ape suits a lot of really bad ape suits that are great great bad ape suits <laughs> and a bunch of large-breasted naked women <laughs> all right all right uh they kill the the heroes they kill all of them <laughs> they oh. all get massacred and they die <laughs> so the busty naked women get to live with the uh bad suit apes in peace yeah exactly nice nice uh, happy ending yeah uh, i guess <laughs> uh next up is a ghostbusters 2 i oh man i've seen this once such an incredibly long time ago i i don't remember anything about it just that everybody says it's terrible I've seen it a billion times. It's not terrible. It's just meh. It should be oh, better okay. than it is. It has lines. It has some good, good lines in it. 
it's just it's autopilot you know uh bill murray especially is just phoning it in he couldn't be bothered uh Aykroyd is terrible in this i love Aykroyd, but he is fucking every line delivery is bunk i don't know what the hell he was doing he's way overselling it he's in a different movie from everybody else oh no ernie hudson's good but they don't have anything for him to do the only one who's really funny consistently is harold ramus as egon right he has a lot of really good lines and he just is doing a lot <laughs> but yeah i don't know the, the movie is just it's it's five years later uh they got sued out of existence after the conclusion of the first movie right even though at the end of that movie they were shown being celebrated with a parade yeah i mean they they saved the city from the giant marshmallow ghost and then somehow after that they got blamed for it i don't know it doesn't make sense they they don't dig into it too deep well you know spider-man is a menace i guess uh you know so that they can build the team back up instead of just having them already be ghostbusters because they're already ghostbusters (laughs) i don't know right yeah you have to gotta get the team back together gotta do the the team back together yeah it's an Uh, emotional important story to tell well and this is an emotional story is is the idea uh they the there's a river of pink slime under new york and it's it feeds on people's negative energy so it's really bad because oh. it's New York in the 80s. Oh, man, it's just going to be filled with, I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the the Ghostbusters have to fucking deal with it. There, there's also the painting, you know, the guy from Strosik. Oh, the pimp, yeah, uh, one of the, the yep. main, main pimp from Strosik. There's an evil haunted painting that he's in. Uh, <laughs> he's Vigo the Carpathian, and he's in the art gallery where... This is a stupid thing. Sigourney Weaver's character, you know, in the first one, she's a cellist with the symphony. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And she's got that thing with like Rick Moranis, I think. No, she has a, she's has a romance with Bill Murray. Oh, right. Right. Somebody else is with Rick Moranis is some other thing. Going well, on. Rick Moranis is uh Lewis Tully is there and he is into her, but she's not into him. That's what it was. Okay. Anyway, in this one, uh she has broken up with Venkman at some point and gotten pregnant and had a kid and the husband is out of the picture and i guess when she went on maternity leave from the symphony somehow she became an art restorationist which is not really As the sort of career do. path that th- yeah i mean that's really specialized training anyway yeah hmm. that's that's how she happens to be at the art gallery she's there doing a restoration while vigo's there <laughs> turns out while i was studying the cello i did this studied this other thing in my spare time yeah i guess I uh even though you know at at the symphony level very realistic yeah um, oh yeah for sure <laughs> you don't have to be dedicated to the cello to get there well, I mean, Lewis Tully, he was uh, an insurance guy in the first one. He's a lawyer in this one. He's the Ghostbusters lawyer. Okay. Which, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, Rick Moranis' character, by the way. Uh, he's actually pretty funny in this, too. He's pretty solid. I, Although, I do like Rick Moranis sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I like Rick Moranis. Uh, he's romancing Janine in this, which is weird, because in the first one, it was Egon and her. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I like a lot of it feels like it's reacting to the cartoon and the cartoon success like slimers in it a few times he's hanging out with 
Tully, and Tully is a Ghostbuster now, too. I really did used to love the cartoon when I was a kid. Yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a mess. Uh, there, nothing really, uh, like, I don't, I don't get what the point of any of it is. It feels like, could AI do any worse? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, but my argument is this if you know, leave real movies to screenwriters, but if you're gonna do just crappy sequels to blockbusters that nobody intended to make a sequel to. Yeah, AI can do that shit. That's fine. No <laughs> one's gonna do it. Like it, it can't do worse. <laughs> I am. I was taking a sip of my drink. I almost spat it all over my microphone. <laughs> I'm gonna get off on a rant here. <laughs> Still, pay your writers though. No, absolutely, I agree. <laughs> they, they can write real stuff <laughs> yeah yeah uh next up the park is mine uh, i mentioned this one week before last this is tommy lee jones he's a disgruntled vietnam vet uh, oh oh he takes he, control of central park That's takes right. over central park uh it's weird it's like it, the the weird thing is it's not his plan he just inherits it <laughs> okay <laughs> a, a buddy of his who's also a veteran uh, commit suicide and he leaves a, a note for him to like go to this address and he goes and like oh hey huge weapons cache <laughs> all these plans he's like yeah i had this plan to make a real big statement i'm going to take over central park for several days leading up to veterans day to make a statement about veterans rights he's like oh yeah i'm not really doing anything right now sure <laughs> <laughs> I, you know i guess i could I can do this. He just quit his job. He's on the outs with his wife because he can't pay alimony because he quit his job. He's like, oh. I'll take over the park. Sure. <laughs> well, also, he he's reading the plan and he's going to see all the stuff that he says is on the map. And he's finding like, yeah, oh, yeah, he put all these explosives here. There's all these traps hidden everywhere. And he's sitting there looking at the map and looking at some stuff and just a cop pulls by and is rude to him. He's like, no oh, man, I'm going to fucking take over this park. <laughs> 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 it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty low budget. It's uh kind of goofy. It's not well shot, but you know, reasonably fun, uh, really killer score by Tangerine dream. Ooh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not a lot to it, but you know, it's, it's an enjoyable time. Yeah, right on. So those are our 13 picks. What do you figure for next week? Well, I think you've pretty much sold me on Man on the Roof. Man on the Roof is pretty awesome. I would say that it is the best thing I watched that wasn't... Uh, I, I Maybe Cameraman or Steamboat Bill Jr. Those are both really fucking great. But yeah, Man on the Roof, was it's the first new thing I've watched. That, that I had not seen before that was really good. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. Looking forward to getting into that. Yeah. I don't know if we've even covered Swedish cinema before. I don't think we have. Hmm. All right. Well, what do you want to look at from our main stacks? We haven't picked from these in a few weeks. No, we have not. Were there? Oh, wait. Right. Yes, that's right. Some additions first. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, so first up, we got Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Oh. Uh, the final chapter, as it says on the poster. Uh, now, does this end up being the final chapter before the reboot? 
Yeah, although they did a TV series also. Oh, okay. Which I am not familiar with. Uh, but this one, you know, it's the continuation of the 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 revolution Caesar started. Oh, okay. Cool. And I think now the apes do talk. Ah, of and course. It's, it's sort of like we do another jump forward in time and we're sort of moving towards maybe humans are on the back foot. Uh, the the revolution has taken over. It's kind of semi post-apocalyptic, sort of a bridge to the original planet. Okay. Yeah. Because these movies are a circle. Right. Oh, is time a flat circle? Yeah, of course. Nice. Nice. Uh, next up, Halfway to Hell, which is the next one in the Al Adamson box. Uh, this is an early one that's co-directed by his dad. And I think his dad maybe even appears in it. Al Adamson is one of the ac- main actors in it. I think he might even be the lead guy. Oh, cool. Cool. He's He plays a Mexican. <laughs> oh, no. He plays a general in the Mes- Mexican oh. Revolution. <laughs> oh, no. Ooh. And is he... that as bad as I think it is? <laughs> uh, so he sends <laughs> a bunch of uh, he he's just sends a gang of guys to get this lady uh, who or no, no. Uh, the this yeah there uh, there there's this lady who's he's in love with but uh he, yeah he's sent a bunch of dudes to kidnap her because okay. she's not into him right but right. he's decided she's gonna and and then there's like this whole thing with some stolen gold it's bad <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll say right out it is pretty bad <laughs> it like notably at a lower budget level than he would tend to have because it's 1960 it's still with his dad's old production company it's like 50s poverty row western style oh i see yeah but it has some of that energy and uh the other one on the same disc is five bloody graves which is one of his later more psychotronic westerns uh we could potentially pair the two of them together okay cool uh next up is red sun which uh, sounds pretty interesting. It's a German movie. It's about this guy. He, I, I think he's been evicted or something and he needs a place to stay. So he goes to stay with his girlfriend who he hasn't seen in a while. All right. But she's living in this apartment building with these four other hyper feminist ladies. And they've all made a pact that uh, they can only have boyfriends for like a few days and then they kill them. Uh very very uh pro-feminist <laughs> yeah i mean it's apparently like a pretty absurdist satire uh <laughs> my understanding very beautifully shot really wild visuals praying mantis feminism <laughs> yeah uh next we've got one called please don't touch me <laughs> why did marriage have to be like this cruel oh. ugly <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh so yeah it's uh this is the next one in the Ormonds box. There's a, a wife. She She's not into sex. And so she has to go to see a therapist to find out what her deep, dark secret is, why she doesn't like sex. Um, I bet it's going to be gross. I bet. <laughs> and last up is Kill Zone, 
you got this Vietnam vet, and you see he's really disgruntled after the war, but he's back in the States. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's one of these. <laughs> this is late in the era. It's 93. This is a Sirio Santiago. He also did Vietnam, or sorry, Nam Angels, the one with the Hells Angels went to Vietnam with, oh, their, right. with their motorcycles somehow. Somehow. Just put the them same on time. the plane. Yeah, yeah. They, they just got there with them. Someone made a bet. Yeah. <laughs> uh this one there's this guy he he's fighting in Cambodia and then uh he gets there's like I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> he gets trashy non-exploitation. They they put him in uh, this uh death camp but like this this challenge camp or something. Like, what does it say here? the uh scare camp oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you, no i have the wrong one added to the list that's why i'm confused it's not sirio santiago's kill zone it's uh david a Pryor's kill zone so it's not the cambodia stuff it, but you know still you know vietnam veteran it's, it's right. post-war he's angry yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> i mean it's a movie that's called kill zone i'm sure yeah <laughs> But there's this guy, he's running this thing called Scare Camp, which is like this really grueling, punishing uh, war camp. And there's this guy who was a Vietnam veteran and he's having flashbacks. And for some reason, he ends up going to this thing. I don't know why he would decide to do that. And it, you know, it, he starts to be unable to tell fiction from reality with the, I don't know, the kill zone. <laughs> so you know, you know he ends up, he's gonna end up killing people i imagine i i would have to guess <laughs> <laughs> so those are the only additions um uh, mostly was a uh, picking just random shit the last little bit so what do you figure for our first pick from the main stacks in a little while well uh as mentioned last week when we did our stacks awards we didn't really cover a lot of series uh last week we mostly just or last last year rather yeah very um, few uh ongoing franchises we we kind of stuck to directors more than yeah yeah or and when we did it was only ever just like one usually yeah, pretty much uh, only a lot of variety that's true that is true and there's nothing wrong with that either uh a series that we've been working through extremely slowly but we have been getting there is uh well extremely slowly because there's like so many of these is the zatoichi series zatoichi the fugitive would be the next one there yeah uh, so yeah the fourth one i mean technically i would say we got really well, fast through them in the first year because we also did the two <laughs> two You're other right. zatoichis we did the yeah, we zatoichi did Fury and the other remake one. yeah that's true we so we've done actually five of them in total that's not bad. Yeah, it really isn't bad, actually. So, so Zatoichi the Fugitive from 1963. Uh, Ichi shows up in a new town and there's a price on his head. Seems like a thing that was going to happen sooner or later. Basic stuff. Uh, yep. And some a former lover has recently been killed, so he oh, no. uh, get, has to go get revenge. Well, that just sounds pretty cut and dry. Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward. One of the more uh, clear plots I've heard for one of these. <laughs> yep. Well, we'll see if it's really that clear. 
Sounds like it might be, although I'm looking at some reviews and like twist itself into a few too many narrative knots. Mm, Uh Oh, Oh, well, Uh, we'll see. I have watched this one before, but it's been quite a while and some of them do blur together in the middle here. Oh, sure, sure. Um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to revisit Satoichi. It has, even though we did quite a few at the beginning, it has been a long time. It's been quite a while. I don't remember when we did the previous one, but it's obviously quite a while because this is way up near the top. Mm-hmm. So next week, Zatoichi the Fugitive, as well as Man on the Roof, the Bo Weiderberg film. Uh, should be a good time. Yeah, I can't wait to see if there's an accidental theme. <laughs> uh, there might be. I don't know. Yeah, uh, so, do you have any last thoughts for this week before we close? Um, their name is Shanna Paulson. Their name is <laughs> Shanna Paulson. All right. Uh, see you all next week. <laughs>